The Wonderful World of Dark Lords Report 11 King Haggard's Land I had a few moments to explore Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival before I met its mistress, and I found myself... less than impressed. The wagons held such strange and mysterious beasts as a toothless lion, an ape with a twisted foot, and even a common house spider. It is true that any lion or ape is an unusual sight, but the thought of paying money to see these creatures of night brought to light baffled me. All my skepticism, indeed, all thoughts not related to self-preservation, fell away when I came to the cage of the harpy Seleno, who was beating her great bronze wings and screaming in hate and fury. I had a sudden, horrible sense of being false, a painted prop for a play in which Seleno was the only living actor. I was still staring at her, transfixed, when the little hag who called herself Mommy Fortuna found me. I did not know, yet, that Mommy Fortuna used tawdry illusions to give the common animals the appearance of magical ones. <laughs> I think I can create better illusions than she. But I knew in my bones that in this land, everything was a tawdry illusion, even the true forms of the animals. Even me. Only magic is real here, and the people hunger for it desperately even when they cannot recognize that it exists. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we're discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft Domains of Dread, but not this month. Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate this setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, The Last Unicorn. That is right. Happy April Ooh. Fool's Month. <laughs> April Fool's time mm -hmm. in this month of misrule and chaos this time of overturning of all social norms and expectations we are celebrating and taking advantage of that opportunity to overturn the normal limitations of our ip theme <laughs> and talk about a non-disney movie topsy-turvy everything is upside, upside down crazy. and we said hey if we are gonna give ourselves permission to talk mm -hmm. about a non-Disney movie. Mm -hmm. Why not start just like right out of the gate, full throttle, let's talk about the possibly greatest animated movie ever made. Possibly. Uh, oh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's, I yeah, don't know, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it also helped that last fall, the online trivia league that I'm in, Learned League, if there are any other llamas out there, hi. No, uh, yeah, a, I know there are. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they had a one-day special on The Last Unicorn, and I was like, dang! Last Unicorn's great. I haven't read that in forever. I need to reread that book. And I reread it. And I was like, dang, King Haggard is a dark lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just that it's a great movie we love. It's the mm -hmm. one that is extremely easy to do what we do to it mm -hmm. in that King Haggard is a dark lord. And I, I even remarked along these lines on Twitter back when we were still on Twitter. And several of you were extremely excited by this idea. So we decided, well, we are not go. the only ones with a very high opinion of The Last Unicorn, it seems, mm -hmm. as a quick glance around the internet will show you. I mean, it's possibly a perfect book. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah. movie is also great. So. so the genesis of this bold break from our normal <laughs> format is that phrase we've said a couple of times, King Haggard is a Dark Lord. So let's talk about that in a section we like to call The Lord. The Lord. Mommy Fortuna, eager for more real magic to embroider her homemade horrors, insisted that I stay on at the carnival as her assistant. My patron knows well my distaste for hags, but her meager ambitions seemed incapable of causing any lasting harm, and I did not want to spurn a potential guide. 
When we traveled, there was one place that Mommy Fortuna refused to go, the town of Hagsgate. Of course, this immediately piqued my interest, and I determined to learn as much about that town as I could. According to Mommy Fortuna and a melancholy wizard named Schmendrick, Hagsgate was the home of King Haggard, a joyless miser who had entered into some occult bargain with a fearsome creature called the Red Bull. Rumors diverged on whether the Bull was Haggard's master or his servant, a fiend to whom Haggard had sold his soul or the prize he had sold it to possess. What perplexed me most was that Schmendrick could give me no explanation for why Haggard would need this bull. It was as powerful as a dragon, but the king had no interest in the riches, glory, or victory that such a potent ally could bring. Haggard brooded in his castle, and the bull ranged far and wide, frightening the people with its fiery horns without ever attacking them. That was all. Finally, however, I was able to pry more information from Mommy Fortuna. When I asked her about Hagsgate, she fixed me with a glare and said that she wouldn't bring either me or Seleno to the Red Bull's feet. Not that we were its preferred prey, but that was getting scarce on the ground, and she didn't know what it might start hunting next. I was surprised and more than a little pleased to be mentioned in the same breath as the Harpy. <laughs> Perhaps because, unlike her or Schmendrick, I could turn cream into butter. But I had to wonder, what was the Red Bull hunting, and why? Hopefully, you know who King Haggard is, and if not, please pause this and go watch The Last Unicorn, and or trust us, and you'll thank us. Mm -hmm. We are, just a quick note, we are going to be, like, mostly going off the movie, because that's mm -hmm. kind of our whole deal, yeah. is taking the animated movies, but as always, we will be bringing in material from the book where we think it kind of enhances or adds detail or fleshes out the, the domain that we're doing, the, the job of adaptation that we are doing, but our core thing we're adapting is the movie The Last Unicorn. Yeah, and it helps that it's an extremely faithful yes, adaptation. I mean, Peter S. Beagle wrote the script himself, but so there's a lot of stuff in the book that didn't make it into the movie, but there aren't any massive departures, so that, that does help quite a bit. So, as we said, please pause the episode and go watch the movie and mm -hmm. then come back and listen to the episode and leave us a five-star review. And <laughs> Marinate in Christopher Lee's voice. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> I'm really glad we get to bring Christopher Lee in some way into, yes. into our, our canon, mm -hmm. to our own little, like, <laughs> world that we're creating with this. So, you presumably, if you, if you either have seen the movie or followed my instructions, then you know... <laughs> Who King Hagrid is, but we keep saying using that phrase, King Hagrid is a Dark Lord. So, Rachel, what is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is someone who commits an act of ultimate darkness and makes the dark powers go, why, hello, friend, we want to play with you forever. And so they pick them up and they put them into their own domain, which is a special little hell tailor-made just for them. There are great Dark Lords and not-so-great Dark Lords. And so we have come up with kind of four qualities that separate the Black Bach Haslicks from the 3rd and 5th edition Haslicks. <laughs> and we are going to kind of go through those qualities as they apply to the very first of the Dark Lords, Strahd von Zarovich. And then we're going to take those qualities and apply them to King Haggard to show that, hey, if he's in the mold of Strahd, he must be a good Dark Lord. Yes, indeed. So our first quality is that act of ultimate darkness. In Strahd's case, it's that he killed his brother because he wanted to get with his brother's fiance, who had absolutely no interest in him. Our second quality is what Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft calls the torment. Since we're a Disney podcast, we call it they got what they wanted, they lost what they had. In Strahd's case, you know, congratulations, your brother's out of the way, there's nothing between you and Tatiana. Oh, wait, there's also not Tatiana. Good job. 
Our third quality is an element of tragedy or relatability. They're not just evil for the sake of being evil. There's something about them that makes us kind of wince in sympathy. And in Strauss' case, it's that unrequited love is really the worst. Yes, yes. And then our final quality is that the domain reflects the Dark Lord and their curse. Strahd is the Lord of Gothic Hammer Transylvania. He is not the Lord of Valachan or Harakir. And it's also a very boring and lonely domain because he killed his brother and his peer, so he said he wanted to be lonely. And the reason we kept saying, as we were going through it together, King Hagrid is a Dark Lord, mm-hmm. is because he does fit all of these so well. Yeah. The kind of existential prison, the hell of his own creation, that I think Peter S. Beagle is trying to show us that King Hagrid is in, very much resonates with some of the core ideas of Ravenloft, yes. of the Dark Lords, of the domains, of the being trapped in these hells of their own creation, being the prisoners of their own worst selves, Mm -hmm. and of having indulged those worst selves, but created these worlds of eternal misery for themselves. (laughs) King Haggard is the most miserable man in the world. Yeah, (laughs) right. So we start to go through those four qualities, the act of ultimate darkness. And this is one where the last couple have all been AUs for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. This one isn't so much an A, it's a slight AU, but we're not really changing anything about the backstory. We're Mm -hmm. just changing sort of the progression of events when the book and the movie start. Mm -hmm. And so we have this backstory of King Hagrid, he had some kind of encounter with unicorns Mm -hmm. when he was young. He saw them in a forest, I believe it said he saw two of them in a forest, Mm -hmm. and... They were so beautiful, he thought he would die. And he said to himself, I have to have that. I have to possess that feeling. Because nothing makes him happy, but they're shining into their grace. We're going to be quoting a lot. Oh my, so good. oh my gosh, it's poetry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to make a bold, like spicy hot take declaration. <laughs> that this is like the most beautiful language we're yes. ever going to have on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Quoting it, quoting the characters, quoting the dialogue, even quoting descriptions. This is the most beautiful poetic yes. language we are ever going to have in anything we cover. So it's all downhill from here, guys. Um, <laughs> also, just to, just to get it out of the way, we know multiple times this episode we are going to like stammer a little bit and call him King Hagrid. Yep. So, yes, Hagrid found this red bull. He's a cute little the fellow really gentle and oh look now i have all these unicorns joke's been made (laughs) you don't don't need to make it because we did king haggard ladies and gentlemen so king haggard found a cute little red bull um (laughs) he invoked the red bull to capture the unicorns to possess the unicorns we don't see that scene and we don't get the details of that scene exactly Mm -hmm. in either the book or the movie but that invoking the Red Bull. They're saying some of the stories are he sold his soul. Some of the stories are the Red Bull's the devil he sold his soul to. Some of the stories are it's what he sold his soul to have. Some of the stories, just maybe he sold his soul, maybe he didn't, but like he did metaphor, like one way or another. Yeah, this, this by the way, I don't remember if that whole idea of him selling his soul is in the movie. I know there are a bunch of like rumors about the Red Bull in mm-hmm. the movie that Schrendrick quotes, but it is directly in the book. And it's, yeah. it's, it's Schrendrick says that, yeah, there's, you know, people say that he sold his soul either to the bull or for the so. And so even if you don't want to do the like made a Mephistophelian contract. Like we did with Rollo last episode. <laughs> right, just metaphorically speaking, he mm-hmm. sold his soul. Like he invoked the bull he knew what it meant to take the unicorns out of the world he knew what the bull would do to the unicorns Mm -hmm. 
And he did it anyway. Yeah. Because he wanted to have them, Mm -hmm. to possess them. And so that choosing to do this terrible thing to possess these unicorns, even though he knows all the harm it will do to the world and all the harm it will do to the unicorns, is his act of ultimate darkness. And that brings us right into the torment, which is he is not happy and he'll never be happy. He got what he wanted. He has almost all unicorns. 99 out of 100 unicorns in the world. <laughs> 99 and 100 unicorns agree. Yes. The ocean is bad. Yes. We don't want to be here. <laughs> he has, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of unicorns all to himself in the seaside by his castle. And whenever the tide changes, he can watch them dancing in the waves. He can have that anytime he wants. But he will never get the last unicorn. That's sort of the, the external of the torment, the sort of measurable, quantifiable thing, the kind of the equivalent of he'll never get with Tatiana Mm -hmm. is that he'll never get the last unicorn. He'll never have all the unicorns. But that's kind of a deeper torment, which is he sort of spoiled unicorns. Like they still do make him happy, but not as much. And they don't come out and say that in either the book or the movie, but come on. That's that's pretty clearly. Like he's not happy. He has the unicorns, but he's not happy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he can watch them and forget who he is. (laughs) forget that he's King Haggard, but that always goes away. Like he's never, he's not really happy and everything else in his life is miserable Mm -hmm. and terrible. And he blames the fact that he knows he doesn't have all the unicorns. Like how does he even know he doesn't have all the unicorns? Well, because if he had all the unicorns, exactly. (laughs) So that's the thing. It's sort of flip of in the movie, he knows he doesn't have all the unicorns. And the subtext I think of that is that because he's not happy. Mm -hmm. So he knows he can't have all the unicorns, and he tells himself if he gets all the unicorns, he will be happy. Now that we're talking about it, it's reminding me of, you know, our back-to-back dour, skinny old men. (laughs) But it kind of is reminding me of some of the stuff we're talking about with Frollo, with the, if he gets rid of the Travelers, then everything will be fine, and both Notre Dame and himself will be free from sin, and now that he doesn't have Esmeralda on to inflame his sinfulness anymore. It's like that that externalization of his internal unhappiness. And the dark powers are going to be taunting him with yeah, both. Yeah. And he's going to be thinking that it's all the external, but it's it's him. It's not that he doesn't have the last unicorn. Right. It's that he's haggard, and he'll always be haggard. And he's going to wake up with that every day. <laughs> so that is our torment, that he got what he wanted, unicorns, <laughs> lost what he had, which is the ability to feel joy. The joy the unicorns bring. Yes, exactly. And then the element of tragedy and relatability, unlike Frollo, I think there is a very strong mm-hmm. empathy and element of tragedy and relatability. And it's connected to sort of what the unicorns mean and what they mean to the story and what they mean to Haggard. And that is a lot of things. They're very, like, you know, multi-leveled symbol, multi-leveled metaphor. And they kind of aren't even a metaphor. They're just unicorns. But they are magic is the most obvious. But the sort of beauty and joy and wonder and the things that create joy and wonder and beauty in us. Mm -hmm. And... Everyone knows what it's like, I hope, to have a kind of transcendent experience of beauty or joy Mm -hmm. or wonder. An experience you would describe as magic. Everyone knows what it's like to want to possess that, to to want to make it a button you can push. I think, listeners, we probably all have that thing, like that tradition that we have 
that the one time we did it, like, you know, the the, the family trip that you take, mm-hmm. the Christmas thing you do right. every year, the, you know, the, the birthday thing you do every year. And there was one time it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And whenever you go and you do that thing and it's not the same kind of the memory of how perfect it used to be if you let it it'll actually sour the future ones for yeah, you yeah, because yeah. they aren't as good as that old one yeah like, oh th- this christmas morning isn't as good as that christmas morning five years ago we're recording this right after christmas so christmas mm-hmm. is on my yeah. brain but you know, this this time that we're going out and getting the christmas tree it's not like that time we went to the tree farm three years ago when nobody was fighting this time when we're going on this date to the place where i proposed to her like it's, right. it's, it's not as good as that time we went for our anniversary last year like we all have that thing where like, the, the memory of that past joy is almost souring our present and future joy if we let it. Or even with, you have a couple of echoing metaphors. You have Schmendrick with magic. Mm-hmm. That he loves magic. He wants magic. He wants to feel magic moving through him. But he kind of wants to be able to call it. That's the whole thing is he has to just let it happen. The times mm-hmm. in the movie he is able to do real magic are when he's just saying magic do what you will mm-hmm. like he, he just opens himself and lets magic choose itself and choose to move through him and there's even a point he te- when he changes her into the human that he's kind of so happy he's like oh my gosh I did real magic and it'll happen again and then it'll happen more and someday it'll come when I call mm-hmm. he's tempted with that same possession that Hagrid has toward the unicorns yeah that there's this numinous, transcendent mystery in the universe that he wants to have a button he can push mm-hmm. and just get it whenever he wants it. Or I was looking at some of the making of stuff, and Peter S. Beagle kind of draws a parallel with Schmendrick and magic and with being a writer. And that whole, sometimes it comes, but it usually doesn't. And that desire to, wouldn't it be great if I just had a button I could push and I could I would have inspiration? Mm-hmm. He does have these days or these hours or these times when the story's just exploding in his head and everything's working and it's all there. This kind of wonderful creativity is working in him, but it's not something he can ever make happen. It's like the issue of Sandman where he's got a muse locked in his basement. Uh, not not Morpheus, uh, mm-hmm. a guy, has a muse locked in his basement. It's the, it's the same kind of the trapping and possessing and mm-hmm. trying to control this force of magic and wonder. And that's what Haggard has with the unicorns, and that is something we can all understand, that temptation. This is one of those, I think everyone can see that path that would have led them to being a King Haggard type, mm-hmm. someone who wants to control this wonderful thing that they experience and thus sours it and ruins mm-hmm. it. Creative types, if you have read the issue of Sandman where he has a muse locked in his basement, you you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we have the domain reflecting the personality and the curse. This is not as aesthetically obvious as spooky vampire theme parkland or like it's a trans Dr. Frankenstein science ice arctic. <laughs> but that... We've mentioned the parallel with Schmendrick, and we see this just real, this is so subtle and so thematic because, you know, we're dealing with a thing written by genius. (laughs) And that you have the obvious physical that the land around Hagrid's castle is very empty, very blasted, very dead. The castle itself is this, like, bizarre, twisted, gloomy, horrible, like, it very much is a manifestation of himself in the book points it's out several things mm-hmm. you're sort of going into Hagrid's world when you go into his land and into his castle but even beyond that we have the whole time 
we're seeing this world the unicorn is going into, it's very much this kind of cynical land with people who want to possess magic and wonder. And they might want to possess it as a kind of trophy. Like what you have with Mommy Fortuna, she sort of wants to possess these magical creatures to sort of prove to herself she's a real Mm -hmm. witch. It might be something for money. You have that with the farmer who tries to capture her when he even thinks she's a beautiful white horse. Or you have that with Captain Cully and Schmendrick, and they see he can do real magic, and they say, oh, we're going to get a lot of money from them and can retire. So mm-hmm. either way, and this is a land where this, the hearts of the people have been soured, and everyone approaches the wondrous as something to possess. And I don't think they draw this parallel directly in the movie, but in the book they even say that Lear's love for Amalthea begins that way. That it's not, he doesn't have this very pure love for her like Molly Grew does. Molly Grew is really the only exception yes, that we have yes. that she truly loves the unicorn yes. and just wants to do whatever it is that will let her serve the unicorn and be in her presence. But that with Lear, it's even his love for her is a desire to possess her. Yeah, yeah. And it's in a much more benign form, but it's it's still just another aspect of that. There's a line about, like, he looks at her the same way Hagrid looks at the unicorns. Mm-hmm. And then when she turns back into a unicorn and he kind of wants to go after her, there's, there is this kind of parallel being drawn of him sort of hunting her. Mm-hmm. And you have Molly is the only, the real exception to this, and with Schmendrick, he overcomes it. Like, mm-hmm. he sort of has initially this conflicting, he's much more good-hearted than a lot of the people we see. He wants to serve the unicorn because she's a creature of magic and wonder, but he also wants to become a real magician, and he wants magic. And it's that kind of getting over, that's his arc. And in, in the movie, Lear's the same way, but in the book, there was some question even at the end of what way is he going to go? Is he going to become, like, a true hero and kind of let the unicorn change him? Or is he going to become Haggard too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the return of Haggard. <laughs> so that is our four qualities, and I think we've demonstrated very well that Haggard is very much the excellent Dark Lord that we said he was the start of it, that he is a just fantastic Dark Lord. He is got what he wanted, he lost what mm-hmm. he had, he has been consumed by his own worst impulses, and those worst impulses have created a hell of his own creation, and they didn't even need the dark powers of the mist in The Last Unicorn. We just <laughs> made it foggier. So let's talk about Haggard as a Dark Lord. We've talked about Haggard's Dark Lord's traits. Let's talk about his Dark Lord powers, because another thing that every Dark Lord has are special powers. Sometimes things based on what they are and who they are, if they're something like a vampire or a mm. werewolf or whatever. Other times, there are powers given to them by the dark powers. In Hagrid's case, as mentioned, he's a dour, skinny old man. Yeah, so he yeah, yeah. A, He has his dour, skinny old he's man He's only powers. metaphorically <laughs> a vampire. But he does have a couple of gifts that were saying that the dark powers gave him. So let's, let's talk about those a bit. Well, the base stats, we are using the noble for obvious reasons, and that's a good reflection of a skinny man that probably wouldn't be too hard to beat in a fist fight. <laughs> We are giving him the plus four in intimidation because he's very intimidating. He's scary. I mean, <laughs> just geez. Even in the book, he's really intimidating. In the book, he's being voiced by Christopher Lee. So <laughs> that should be like, honestly, an extra plus b- mm-hmm, a bunch that mm-hmm. is voiced by Christopher Lee. If you're voiced by Christopher Lee, you roll your intimidation. Yeah, advantage. right. <laughs> We're giving him the dark devotion power we have with the cult fanatic and with the cultist and kind of almost the opposite reasons. 
Because the idea of the dark devotion is, if I remember correctly, they're have immune to being charmed or frightened. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the cultist and the cult fanatic is they are so devoted to their Cthulhu or whatever that you can't kind of mentally manipulate them. You can't charm them. You can't frighten them because of this absolute fanatical devotion to whatever Cthuloid or whatever that you are using in your game. And that's the effect because, yeah, you can't imagine Hackard being charmed or <laughs> frightened. And But it's almost the opposite. Here it's a reflection of his intense apathy that the only time we even ever really see him show strong emotion is when he's confronting Amalfia. Mm-hmm. And that the only thing he cares about is unicorns. Everything else in the world is just terrible and awful and boring and dry and drab for him. So no, you can't like charm him or frighten him because nothing matters in the world mm-hmm. except the unicorns. Yeah. And, and the unicorns that's who we see him getting worked up. So we've described the guy as pretty easy for a bunch of uh, heavily armed transients to beat in a fight. <laughs> except... If he whistles up, his very special friend. And this is where the real Haggard combat encounter mm-hmm. comes in. Yeah, Haggard, Haggard's not that bad, but wait till you meet his pet. So Haggard has the Red Bull, and there's the idea in both the movie and the book, everyone's afraid of him, no one really raises a hand against him. And we were looking at first at kind of some powers inherent to him that right. make that the case. Like a version of charm mm-hmm. person or mass suggestion or something. And But really, there's a, a scene in the book where they're talking to some of the guards and the guards are mentioning why they stay with Hagrid even though they're miserable. And it's because they're terrified of the bull. And that's really why everyone does anything in Hagsgate is because they are terrified of the bull. They're, they're worried that you know Hagrid's going to sick the bull on them. They don't know that it only goes after unicorns. Mm-hmm. So we're saying that Haggard gets an intimidation advantage, not because he's yes. voiced by Christopher Lee, but because he has the Red Bull around. Everyone knows the bull serves Haggard, so everyone is extra afraid of Haggard. And then the bull responds to Haggard's desires, that it's, it's kind of an extension of his will. It's mentioned at one point the Red Bull doesn't even care about unicorns yeah. itself. It just cares that Haggard wants them. Yeah, yeah. So once again, the only thing he really cares about or wants is unicorns. Uh-huh. If you were attacking Haggard, he would want you to stop attacking. Yeah, so I think he would, would care about yeah. that. It would break the apathy <laughs> if you were rushing at him with a sword. So yeah, the Haggard boss fight is really the Red Bull boss, mm-hmm. boss fight. But as, soon as, as soon as you go after him, it's going to summon the Red Bull. And you know, it's, since it knows that Haggard longs for unicorns, that's what it longs for. That's kind of its default programming is mm-hmm. to go unicorn hunting because that's kind of Haggard's default programming mm-hmm. is to want unicorns. It is just representing kind of just raw power, a desire to dominate. There's a line about how the bull doesn't fight, it conquers. Yeah, when when kind of Lear stands up to it, it confuses the bull. And they're able, when Amalthea, or rather the unicorn, is fighting back, the bull's mm-hmm. actually, if you remember even from the movie, the bull's sort of flabbergasted by yeah. this. Because, yeah, the bull doesn't fight and the bull doesn't kind of know how to deal with something fighting back against it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, since it tries to get things to not fight back against it, then it does have a boatload of frightened powers. Yeah, yeah. Because the idea is it's trying to intimidate things and just get them to stand down and not even want to fight back against it. And we're going to have fuller stats in the write-up, right. as usual, all, all the combat stuff. Basically, we're doing the the Gorgon, which confusingly enough is yeah, not right. going to do so, it's a giant bull thing. With Nightmare Ethereal Stride. Yeah, to, to represent the sort of ability to teleport, to appear, to like mm-hmm. phase in and out of reality. The easiest way is the Nightmare Stride, because that's the sort of, you can jump into the border Ethereal or out of the border Ethereal. And, you know, I feel like if you needed to D&D 
the Red Bulls movement mm -hmm. in the movie we see or the book, then jumping in and out of the border ethereal is a pretty good way to do that. Yeah. But with the Red Bull, like, if you're not doing anything to Father Haggard and you're not yeah. a unicorn, it's going to leave you alone. So. Mm -hmm. And then closing the borders, we're imagining the, uh, there's a very thick forest. You kind of get lost in the forest and get turned around and end up back in the domain. Or maybe you get chased by the Red Bull. If right. you're, you know, if you're magical in some way, we're going to mm -hmm. get into how it can, this can be applied to not just unicorns. But if you're something that Haggard might conceivably want to capture, then the Red Bull might herd you back in. This works great for two ways. Number one, if, if Hagrid is closing the borders, it means he wants no one to leave. Mm -hmm. So that want is then That's true, yeah. resonating with the Red Bull. And the other is we see the Red Bull is hurting mm -hmm. the unicorn. It's trying to herd the unicorns. You know, you're like, I don't want the PCs to leave because I'm not done with this adventure. But I don't want them to have a boss fight right now because they haven't found the magic sword of what's-its yet. <laughs> I love the magic story. Right? But so it's well established in the canon. It would be totally in keeping with both the movie and the book that the bull kind of herds them back away from the borders, mm -hmm. herds them back toward the castle. Normally, that would be a very annoying move for a GM to pull. But in this case, it is in keeping with the canon that this domain's coming from. So the final section for the Dark Lord is the role-playing trait, the ideal, the bond, and the flaw. And in the Van Richten's guides, they have those as quotes from the Dark Lords. And we want to do that as well. But mm -hmm. we cannot just make up quotes for the Dark Lords because it's not how we roll. <laughs> and why would we right. have Peter S. Beagle writing them for us? Yeah, so. you know. <laughs> so we have each come up with our ideas of role-playing trait, ideal bond and flaw. And this is one where you don't have the gold standard Jack Skellington. Mm -hmm. Haggard does not sing three songs about his feelings. <laughs> in fact, he sings no songs about his feelings. And indeed, just going by, like, the movie, Hagrid has, like, two speeches. He has, like, mm -hmm. three scenes where he has dialogue and maybe, like, 90 seconds of dialogue if you put it all together. But it's so beautiful and so poetic and so expressive mm -hmm. of what Peter S. Beagle is trying to say about who this character is and what he represents. Yeah. Also, he's got, like, that monologue to Amalthea about capturing the unicorns. And, I, spoilers, I feel like a lot of us yeah, are right. from there. So, like, we could do one of us basically reads that monologue to the other one, and then we decide what lines we're going to do. Yeah. Or we could just pick out the lines in advance. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so this is the kind of exception where we have a very small amount of dialogue, but it is so perfect for our needs. Every line is perfect. So, and... <laughs> I and say this about the last unicorn in general. We figured the best way to do this, because otherwise it would just regenerate into us doing that. We figured the best way is for us to each kind of prepare our own choice and then discuss. So we have the role-playing trait, which is what does the GM is sitting at the table running this, the PCs are shooting their mouths off, and he's trying to think, how is Haggard going to respond to this? This is the line to guide that response. The ideal, the bond, and the flaw. So, why don't you go ahead first, Rachel? What did you pick for the role-playing trait for King Hagrid? For the role-playing trait, I picked, you are losing my interest, and that is very dangerous. Oh, that's a very good one. <laughs> that is, uh, that's really good because that is going to guide a lot of the role-playing mm -hmm. with the, the, the PCs, especially if they're, like, getting up to shenanigans, I think. That's a really good way to shut down PC, yeah, yeah. PC shenanigans, is like you're being boring. Mm -hmm. That's going to that's gonna leave them a little gobsmacked. That's really good. I actually picked that for the flaw. Um, 
<laughs> He's looking at my choices and laughing. I'm looking at Tom's choices. Yeah. And this is the other side of the coin for mm-hmm. this being perfect and beautiful and a masterpiece of literature that, like, every line is everything. <laughs> you know, the role-playing trait, the ideal, the bond, and the flaw are so perfectly unified mm-hmm. in this character that pretty much any of these lines could be any of those things. That mm-hmm. line, you are losing my interest and that's very dangerous, could be any of those. Yeah. So I chose it for flaw because I was thinking that is the trait in him, the desire for sort of novelty and stimulation mm. that leads him to make the big mistakes he makes in the story. Mm. It leads him to like choose Schmendrick as his magician, to allow them to stay at the palace, to kind of allow Amalfia there, sort mm-hmm. of play the game of cat and mouse. Like he he pretty much t- figures out who she is right away, mm-hmm. but he's willing to like kind of play this game of cat and mouse because it's interesting. It's a diversion. See, the reason I started cackling was because Tom <laughs> brought his thing up and I saw that what he picked for his thing, yes. I picked for the flaw. So why don't, why don't, you, why don't you give us that? No. Oof, okay. <laughs> so my role-playing trait and apparently Rachel's flaw which, once again, this could be any of them. This could be all four things. I have said to the Red Bull, I must have them, all of them, all there are. For nothing makes me happy but their shining and their grace. I just had the, I must have them. I must have all of them, all there are. That is, I just had uh, that for the yeah, That is really good. Because, again, it's, it's the same thing. That right. the, you know, the thing that leads to his downfalls, he has to have all of them. Yeah. He can't let him out the ago. Gosh, what, how are we going to resolve? Normally, jeez, <laughs> flip a coin, I guess? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'm okay, because my thing with the flaw was it's what leads to his downfall. Mm-hmm. I figured this the flaw right away. This was like one of my first picks. Mm-hmm. But then you said the role-playing trait, and I was imagining that, yeah, this is the GM shutting down the Malfi Bard. Yeah, this is how like, he's going to be interacting with the PCs. Yes, so yeah. I am cool doing the flip-flop and having it be that I said the red boy must have them, all of them, all there are as our flaw, because that is what drives him, and that is the thing that leads to his downfall, and then that you you were losing my interest, and that's very dangerous as a role-playing trick. Cool. So, ideal. <laughs> I wonder if this is the one we matched. Mm-hmm. I will keep nothing near me. <laughs> that does not make me happy. happy. <laughs> yes, bam! Nailed it! <laughs> this was the easiest. Yes. Like, if well, like yeah. even we, we were watching the movie with our kids, and we knew we were going to do this episode, and he goes, I will keep nothing near me that does not make me happy. And I turned to Tom, and I said, that sounds like an idea. That sounds like an idea, <laughs> right. That is the principle that guides the decisions that he makes. Mm-hmm. I will keep nothing near me that does not make me happy. <laughs> and then finally, we have Bond. Mm-hmm. And once again, this might be the same, might be different. It's different, because okay. I'm, look- I'm looking at yours. Yeah, go for it. My Bond was... Each time I see the unicorns, my unicorns, it is like that morning in the woods, and I am truly young in spite of myself. That's so glad I want to use it all. Just, just let's make the book the this. We must have all of all them. of it. All there all are. All the quotes. <laughs> so my bond, and the same idea, same principle. I mean, his bond is obviously unicorns, the unicorns right? That's what the quote is. Unicorns. They are mine. They belong to me. Yeah. So, what do you think? Yours has the possessiveness. Yeah, the, that's why I like the, 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 the very the, possessive. They belong they to belong me. They belong to me. Mine, the reason I went with mine was that it's not only the bond to the unicorn, right. it's the bond to the feeling. It is, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Read, read yours again. Maybe we can do a, our own a classic Kohler. <laughs> the classic movie review. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Fantastic! Dot, 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 movie! <laughs> dot, 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 I, dot, 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 love it! Kind of deal. Yeah. 
Each time I see the unicorns, my unicorns, it is like that morning in the woods, and I am truly young in spite of myself. What if, I don't remember the exact order of the speech. I am, I, I am yeah, looking it up on, right yeah. now, hang on. <laughs> this is live, baby! No, their mind that belongs to me isn't part of the ma- uh, it's, it's, it's way, way ahead okay. of it. Okay. Like, just combine it with the mm. nothing makes me happy except they're shining in their grace. Yeah. And that would be it. Uh, I, I also thought about nothing makes me happy but they're shining in their grace for the bonds, because that's- Yeah, oh, that's right, so, that's, that's the that's thing, beautiful. that's the point! That's like his bond. The only relationship yeah, that you're matters. Not, you're not using that for trade anymore, do you want to yeah. be the bond? Nothing makes me Yeah, nothing makes me shit. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, you know, you dear, you dear listener know that we're talking about unicorns. Yes. And that's oh. that, like, uh, and the way Christopher Lee delivers it, you, like, feel it. Yes. And you're like, I get it. Yes. I get why Haggard is the way he is. Mm-hmm. I get why he does what he does. Yes. And I can feel that. Mm-hmm. Nothing makes me happy except the longing. And, like, the, it's the, the Haggard, like aggression and power and control but then that note of longing that creeps into it when he talks about the unicorn ah perfection so we're not going to follow this we're not going to talk for hours about Haggard although we could <laughs> Frollo 2 the revenge yeah right <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter so skinny old man <laughs> so we have said that in many ways and we have the advantage of having a genius writer do this for us mm-hmm. that the the world reflects this core character the land uh, of haggard and even kind of the land with of the world without unicorns reflects so much of the flaws and the kind of sins of haggard we touched on that when talking about the domain reflecting the dark lord but now we can dig into the details of how your pcs are going to interact with that land that is without wonder that is without magic in a section that we like to call the land. The land. Haggard and the Red Bull were not the only ones in the land who longed for magic, and no one else seemed choosy about the form it took. The people we saw reacted with polite applause to Schmendrick's multiple fumbled castings of prestidigitation, but wept with joy or terror at the sight of the ape they believed to be a satyr, the lion they took for a manticore or my own demonstrations of minor illusion or form of dread. I've seen magic treated with distrust, horror, awe, but never this kind of desperate need. Curiously, however, the people saw no difference between Mommy Fortuna's illusionary creatures, my own spells, and the true nightmare of Seleno. They hungered, but could not discern a crumb from a banquet. Eventually, eager to see Hagsgate and its mysterious king, I slipped away from the carnival and struck out on my own. I found this same baffling attitude toward magic wherever I went. Not fear, not awe, but a peculiar blend of disbelief, longing, and nostalgia. Magic, they assured me, did not exist anymore, but their grandmothers had seen a unicorn once, or their great-grandfathers had lost a farmstead to a dragon. At one point, an encounter with bandits forced me to use an eldritch blast to defend myself. I expected the same amazement that I saw at the carnival, but instead the bandits shouted that I had a crossbow and deadly aim. From that moment on, rather than desiring to rob me, they wanted only to capture me and force me to join their band. Their eyes could not see magic, but some part of them knew it was there and yearned for it. 
So we are talking about King Hagrid's Land, which mm-hmm. is the title we have to give to this, like, deliberately vague yeah. archetypal fairy tale setting. Like, we know the town around his castle is Hagsgate, but that's right. very explicitly not the whole land. Right, right, right. Mommy Fortuna never went anywhere near Hagsgate, and she's going around the rest of the right, land, right. so we don't have a name. And we also know the whole setting of the book and the movie is not King Hagrid's Land, it's mm-hmm. the journey to King Hagrid's land, but whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. We, we got to name it something. We got to name it something. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to be something you can look at the cover on TM's Guild and have any idea what we're talking about. Yeah, because you see Hag's Gate, you're like, oh, witches, cool. Cool, it's a, a gate of hags. <laughs> a literal gate of hags. And as mentioned in sort of the windup, this is really meant to be this kind of deliberately archetypal, mm-hmm. deliberately undefined fairy tale land Mm -hmm. and that's both kind of a strength and a weakness yeah that's a strength because you can pluck any kind of fairy tale setting fairy tale place you want actually very like dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. random homebrew setting where it's just like there's a village over there there's a baron there's There's a a bandit camp there's a bandit camp in the forest where the bandits live Mm -hmm. like you can just put any fantasy or fairy tale archetype you want story you want setting you want it's not the kind of thing that wouldn't really fit the old, like, third edition gazetteers where it's no. like, here's the gross domestic product of Barovia, <laughs> the timber exports to Darkon or whatever. That almost goes against the spirit of the setting, giving mm-hmm. it, like, a definite geography and a definite political structure and saying, okay, well, here's the king and here's the barons and here's the taxes and here's the, like, imports and exports. And that's not the vibe the story's yeah. going for at all, book or movie. And it also means this is one of those ones where there's a less obvious having the domain reflect the Dark Lord. There's not the obvious aesthetic reflection in the whole land Mm -hmm. as there is in some of these other places like, you know, Dracula, Strahd, Spooky, Transylvania, Barovia. And there is, you know, once again, with Hagsgate Town, you know, it's not it's not in the movie, but in the book, you've got the people of Hagsgate, their fate is linked to Haggards, and they're mm-hmm. all, you know, as, as grim and dour as Haggard, because they know that all their prosperity is going to end when whenever Haggard goes down. But if we're doing the whole land, we don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the movie is this perfectly nice forest and fields and stuff. Or is it bum, perfectly bum, bum. nice? You do have in the book, it says that you can tell when you're getting into Haggard's land his country because it gets all like dead and dry and they even say everyone says that he's like poisoned the land with his touch the main place we do see that in the movie is the castle Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the most obvious dracula spooky transylvania correlation (laughs) there is in this setting is this castle is very much his interiority it is twisted it is dark you know schmendrick even says this isn't a throne room it's a tomb Mm -hmm. and It is his heart out there in the world for you to go into. And when you are going into the castle, you're kind of going into his heart, into his world. Mm -hmm. But that's just one location. So this is one where the reflection is less in the externals or in the aesthetics as it is more in something internal. Yeah, so this was, we talked about this a bit back with uh, when we were talking about the domain reflecting the Dark Lord. That every time we see someone encounter the unicorn, with the exception of Molly, yes. they in some way want to possess her. Or it, when they when they encounter Schmendrick and his magic, they in some way want to possess him. Right, Fortuna right. Fortuna wants to use him for her Midnight Carnival. Captain Cully, like, he's like, oh, great, we can sell him. 
And then with the unicorn, you've got the man who wants to capture her and take her to the fair. You've got Mommy Fortuna, obviously. You've got Haggard. And once again, even with Lear, there was a thing about how when he looked at her, it was the way that Haggard looked at her, that his love for her was also kind of a desire to possess her. So there is this sense that this kind of avarice of Hagrid's and this covetousness and this you see something numinous and your first thought is, how can I own this? How can I use this? Has infected the people in the land and that's going to be a problem when you're rolling in with a bunch of PCs who presumably have some non-humans and magic users among them. That's that's going to lead to some interesting conflict. Presumably your PCs are not all human fighters and rogues. Mm-hmm. If they are, a lot of our advice is not yeah. going to be helpful. Yeah, this but... is, give, give, give us a man a pass. It's not going to have anything yeah, else to give us a, give us a, if it is, if that's you, <laughs> give us a comment because that's weird. I think it's a safe assumption that at least everyone listening to this, considering jamming this, one of those PCs is either going to be a non-human or a magic user or a non-human magic user. Mm-hmm. And with those non-humans and or magic users, we know from pretty much everybody except Mommy Fortuna and Haggard and Schmendrick, the way that they react to seeing the unicorn, oh, and Molly, obviously. The way that they're reacting to the unicorn, they see a white mirror. Yes. So when the people look at your tiefling, your elf, right, right. your dwarf, whatever, and they do see her as the most beautiful white mirror they've ever seen. Uh-huh. So they're not going to see you as just some dude. You're going to be a very short dude with a beard, but you're still a dude. Yeah, yeah. You're not they a don't perceive you as a non-human. So this is kind of like you have the White Wolf Games changeling line Mm -hmm. and both in i believe dreaming and we know in lost there is this idea of the average human perceives the changeling as a kind of a funny looking dude Mm -hmm. whereas supernatural creatures perceive their true supernatural self yeah so like in the changeling game that i ran tom's character supernatural creatures could see he looked like jack skeleton he was so tall and skinny and for as for everybody else, he's like, man, that's a really tall, skinny guy, but he wasn't, like, supernaturally so. Right. If you have someone who's tabaxi, the people in this land, the average people that are not Schmandrick or Malaguru mm-hmm. or Mommy Fortuna, are going to look at them and see a person that's kind of fuzzy and has very kind of whiskery-looking fuzz on their chin and they, they might, cat, they might see them, eyes. Yeah, they might see them as having cat-like eyes and, you know, just being a very fuzzy person. They might see them as, we, we all know somebody who has kind of feline features, uh-huh. you know, they might see them as being that person. They might probably notice how graceful they are and whatnot, but it's mm-hmm. going to be a very human, probably very beautiful, because again, they do have this sense of they're looking at something magical and mystical. They just don't know that it is literal magic. So they're, they're probably going to perceive these non-humans as being very beautiful, but still human. And that we, you know, we keep mentioning Molly as being the exception to a bunch of this stuff. And she's one of the only just regular humans that we see who can see the unicorn for what she is. And so we're saying that somebody who truly believes in magic can see non-human creatures, can see right. magic for what it is. Like everybody else, if, they, if even if you went up and you did fireball, they, they, they would swear they saw you with the flash uh-huh. powder. But people who truly believe in magic can see it for what it is. And so that's why, you know, St. Molly, there's part of her that never stopped believing in unicorns. Mm. No matter how run down she got, no matter how poorly treated she was by life, part of her was always waiting for the unicorn to show up so that she could give a heartbreaking speech and make us all cry. Yes, indeed. 
And the people who go to Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival and see the fake unicorn that mm-hmm. she, the, the real unicorn who has made a fake right, unicorn right. so she can be a real unicorn, they would probably say that that's how they felt, but they don't really. They, they don't really believe in magic. When they see the unicorn, part of them's kind of like, oh yeah, it's, it's a trick. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like when we go to, you know, a magic show or whatever. We, we don't say, my gosh, David Copperfield <laughs> truly made the Great Wall of China disappear. We're like, we, 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 ooh, would we, ah, but we know there's a trick to it. Mark your color generational bingo card. <laughs> For the late 80s. And that gives you an immediate way to hook in NPCs you want to be significant. Mm-hmm. That they go to the village, everyone sees the Tabaxi as a as a feline featured human, but there's like the one person who sees them for what they truly are. And that tells you that person is special, that tells you that person is unique, and that is this huge, I think any PC group is going to be immediately like, oh, let's let's talk to this person. Let's get to know them. Oh, they're having problems. Let's engage oh, with those problems. The right? Mascot. They're gonna be the team mascot. Yes, like, they're gonna adopt this NPC so hard. Right. <laughs> and the nice thing having Molly Gru as example, the obvious thing will be some kind of like child or very kind of wide-eyed, innocent person. But we've got Molly Gru as this wonderful, like, not the person you'd be expecting. Mm-hmm. The kind of worn out, dishpan hands, just person that's been ill-used by life. This should be the most cynical person in the world. Mm-hmm. And she is very well, cynical is. <laughs> in a lot of, of regards. But that's what makes her even more special. And that's mm-hmm. what makes the sort of purity of her heart and her belief even more special. That's what makes her such a memorable character. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is, this engages your PCs... Mm-hmm in the kind of core drama of the setting, which is that manifestation of Haggard's greed, Haggard's desire to possess that which is wonderful and magical and wondrous and special, and then the sort of push against that, the fact that things that are wonderful and magical and special push against that. And congratulations, your PCs are wonderful, magical, and special, as I'm sure (laughs) you know they are, so they are right in the middle of that conflict as soon as they meet anybody. And then once again, the people who see them, like, we're going to get into this more later, but in some way they're going to want to possess them. So whether it's, you know, like they are going to court them, like Lyra's courting Amalthea, they want to, like, you know, kidnap them and have them do tricks, whatever the case may be, we'll get, we're going to get into that more later, but put a pin in that. Another cool thing about this setting that is almost, very deliberately, the kind of archetypeness and the vagueness and that this is just sort of fairy tale land where any fairy tale can be happening and you could have here just kind of wandering around finding random dragons to mm-hmm. slay is it's deliberate that this is a book and a, a movie that are very self-consciously and self-awarely in a story and mm-hmm. this is kind of a world where this is a world of stories of fairy tales of fantasy stories and you can make that part of your game as well. This might be a fun way to kind of get in a little bit of meta, because this is a very meta story in some ways. So we're imagining that the sort of in-universe explanation is that the forest that you go into, the sort of wilds that you wander through, is connected to the Feywild. The Feywild bleeds in. That gives you monsters. That gives you more magic, more supernatural. And maybe an optional role of your PCs picking up that they're in this kind of self-consciously fairy tale world and actually being able to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you, when I was in the write-up as an optional rule, 
if the PC chooses a role to play, they decide to be the handsome, dashing prince, or they decide to be the ruthless, cunning thief, or the jolly forest bandit, they actually get inspiration when they act in that way. Mm -hmm. Because they're sort of tapping into that narrative force that's driving this world. And part of the reason for that is it's not just the archetypal fairy tale-ness. And again, this is getting more into the book than into the movie. There's a running theme in the book that the magic and the magical creatures are the ones that are truly real. And everyone else is the fairy tale. Mm. Uh, there's actually when in the book when Schmendrick makes the, the illusion of Robin right. Hood and they go running after him. And Captain Coley's going, Robin Hood is a myth! And then, uh... Molly turns around and says, no, Robin Hood is real and you're the fairy tale. And Schmendrick has a line when they're helping the unicorn about how they've been pulled into her story now. They're just supporting characters in her story. And so if you wanted to kind of play up that theme, the idea that part of the, the sort of cosmic horror of this domain, possible spoilers for genre Yeah, horror, yeah. But cosmic horror aspect of this domain is that it is, you know, kind of pulling you in and making you a character in a story, like what we're talking about with Peter Pan. Right. That could be cool. And... We have, uh, as an example of this, sort of what's going on with Captain Cully, that he is very much deliberately playing the part of the gallant forest outlaw, the kind of Robin Hood type. And so that's something your PCs could do. You know, your rogue might decide to be, you know, I'm Robin Hood now. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the gallant, swashbuckling forest outlaw who robs from the rich and gives to the poor. And when they act in that way, they get some kind of net, like, help, some kind of boost. And if they act against that, if they rob from the rich and keep the money for themselves, <laughs> then that hurts them. That's a negative because they're kind of pushing against the gravity of this world. Mm -hmm. It is a world where stories and archetypes and fairy tales have that kind of gravitational force. Mm -hmm. And you can either cooperate with it or push it against it. You can reflect that mechanically with things like giving inspiration or losing inspiration. Mm -hmm. So then we're talking about some of the specific locations within this land. We talked about the forest, about how the Feywild is bleeding in. Another great location that we have already mentioned is Mummy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival, which is just the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> very, very, very different take on Angela Lansbury than our beauty. Yeah, episode. right. <laughs> so it travels around. It has its false wonders. You know, most of them are just the regular creatures that Mummy Fortuna's kind of dolled up with minor illusion magic to make them look like magical creatures, but she does have the harpy, and depending mm -hmm. on who you set this, she might also have the unicorn, and she has to dress those up and make them look like magical creatures to kind of, you know, kind of trick people out of their disbelief, and just feeding on that need for magic, feeding on that lack of magic, and this kind of very cynical take on the, on the world without magic. We do know, incidentally, that Mommy Fortuna is not the only witch around because uh -huh. she has a line about how the other witches laugh at Mommy Fortuna and her homemade horrors. She is this very penny ante right. illusionist, just kind of doing minor image on all these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want to have, like, more powerful witches show up, that could be an interesting thing to do for a later encounter. It's a great example of the broad archetypalness is so... It's, it's this wonderful blank canvas you can put anything mm -hmm. in. Like, if you have not read the book, and we were to say right now, oh, yeah, in the book they made a powerful witch in the forest, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be like, the devil, you say? You'd be <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure, that checks out. That fits mm -hmm. everything I know about this story from yeah. watching the movie. And then we've got Hagsgate, we've mentioned a couple times. It's the town that's around King Hagrid's castle. Mm -hmm. It's a very prosperous but very greedy because 
in the book, bingo, there was a whole thing about how King Hagrid's castle was cursed, and you know, so he knew that it was eventually going to collapse around his ears. Mm-hmm. And the people in the town of Hagsgate were also cursed that their fortunes would rise and fall with Hagrid's. So, you know, obviously there's a very strong link there because they are just, they're literally linked to Hagrid in this way. And it means that they also have that sense of misery and that sense of kind of poisoning their own joy because they are incredibly prosperous. They're living very comfortable lives, but they know it's going to get snatched away from them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just like with Hagrid not being able to fully enjoy the unicorns because he's trying to have wonder on demand. With the town, it's they're not able to fully enjoy everything that they have because they know it's going to be gone. There was also, if you want to play with this particular weird little plot hook to kind of throw in your PC's direction Mm -hmm. for creepiness, there was also a bit in the book about how there was a prophecy that a child born from Hagshate was going to be the one to bring King Hagrid's castle down because, you know, Prince Lear, it mentions he's not Hagrid's son and it gets into... He was a foundling. He was a foundling. And in the book, it gets into, yeah, he was from Hagshate originally. And so, you know, he, he was the child of destiny. And everyone in Hagshate says, well, if we don't have kids, maybe the castle will collapse and we could just continue being, you know, mm. wealthy. So there are no children in Hagsgate. That might be a fun, creepy thing for, yeah. the, for the PCs to notice. Hagsgate, we're making sure we include because, A, it is a specific location. Mm-hmm. It's the village, the farm. There are n- it's, no other named locations. Yes, yes. The forest. <laughs> it is a specific location we can put in the write-up that you can have to refer your PCs to, that you can have as be a destination they hear about from people on the road. So it's a named location. That's major point in his favor right there. And it can kind of be the village of jerks. Yes. That like you need your village. You go jerks. there, and that kind of is getting them ready to go to Hagrid's castle. There's a reason in the book they encounter this kind of on the road to Hagrid's castle. It's sort of literally the gateway to Hagrid's castle. That it's the village of jerks, mm-hmm. and you've got this wonderful. You go there, everything's great. It's prosperous. They welcome you, and this has that immediate though visual. You know, you have people make some some perception or some insight checks. And have them notice that there are no children. Yeah. And that everyone looks miserable. Everyone is in their incredibly rich silks and satins and looking miserable. <laughs> and so that raises this and that lets you get into this sort of the story of the curse and some of the stuff with Hagrid in the background. And there's specifically the, not just the village of jerks, but the village of greedy jerks. Mm-hmm. So there's even a whole bit where the, the mayor, he's figured out that Lear is the foundling, that he's the one that might do the prophecy. So he pays Schmendrick to kill Lear. <laughs> but then, like, his money is going to magically come back to him because he's a greedy jerk. Schmendrick, like a proper PC, is all yes. like, oh yeah, I'm going to sure take your money and run. <laughs> No, yeah, give me that money and then I'll go do that thing that you're not going to be around to see if I do or not. So that could be like a whole little encounter right there where Mm -hmm. they approach the PCs, they offer to pay them to kill Lear, that gets Lear on the PC's radar, Mm -hmm. then maybe there's some kind of encounter later with realizing the money's actually sort of coming back to the guy, or he might try and ambush them and take the money, having changed his mind. It's always fun to fight jerks. Yeah, Yeah. And greedy jerks. And so this is the village of greedy jerks you can have your PCs go to. And just be disgusted with, and that primes them to go to Hagrid's castle. The greediest, jerkiest, greedy jerk of all. And speaking of Hagrid's castle, that is our other named location. Mm-hmm. In the book, drink, it is, <laughs> it's a specifically, it was raised up by a witch, which is why it looks so freaky. Mm-hmm. And Hagrid refused to pay because, you know, He's why Hagrid. not? He's Hagrid. And so she cursed it. And that 
you don't get that whole backstory in the movie. But once again, if you've only seen the movie, I bet you weren't surprised. Having, yeah. having seen Hagrid's castle, that this is an evil witch curse castle. Look at that castle and you're like, yeah, okay. Yep, that, that explains everything, actually. <laughs> and we mentioned before, this is one of your core locations of this setting. This is going into Hagrid's heart, going into his internality. This is the just dead and empty and twisted and dark and gloomy, miserable castle. That he is king, but he is king of this horrible pile of rocks. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there should be some kind of effect of going in there. We want to communicate this is significant, that this is not just like another bad place in a kingdom of bad places. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the village of jerks and here's the castle of King Jerk. So we are having as an optional rule a version of the Shadowfell Despair rules from the DMG, which is basically if you're there for a day, you have to make a wisdom save, and if you fail, then there is this effect on you. This kind of the gloom and the dread are actually kind of infecting your spirit. So we're specifically using the apathy and the dread effects. And the apathy is basically you say you decide nothing matters, you have disadvantage on death saves and initiative rolls because nothing matters, which is, you know, Hagrid's motto in life. Yeah. And then the dread one is you get this this idea of I'm going to die here and you have some disadvantage on some other things. I believe Hagrid's motto in life is it will keep nothing near me that does not make me happy. Exactly. It's on his character sheet. There you go. So that is something we're offering as an option. And I would want to run this optional rule because once again, this communicates to the player's They're not just in, like, an ugly, poorly built castle. They are in a kind of cosmic center of apathy and Mm -hmm. despair. If you're using 3-5 rules, it's a sinkhole of evil, and it's got apathy resonance. So There you go. (laughs) That sounds relevant. (laughs) Now, there is not a ton of locations to give you. And there's not even a ton of, like, core encounters to have in those locations to give you here we're describing them. This is, Mm -hmm. as we said, a deliberately vague archetypal thing you could put anything in. It's a little like Sleeping Beauty in that respect, but unlike Sleeping Beauty, there's a lot more room to put things in because everyone's not asleep and there are a big theme here that you can do stuff with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we will give you some examples of some of those things you could put in, some of those optional encounters of putting in whatever kind of encounter you want to have, but trying to make sure it does reflect, as Rachel said, the big theme of the setting. This is very much a domain of themes as opposed to visual signifiers Mm -hmm. or a specific, like, history or canon Mm -hmm. for the NPCs. Or encounters. But before your PCs have these thematic encounters that we are hopefully going to be able to give you in a minute, we have to ask yourself, what do they do in this deliberately vague and archetypal fairy tale setting? Rachel, what do you do with it? Dread Possibilities When at last I arrived at Hagsgate, I expected to see a city with magical resources to rival Illaluk or Slyvar. Surely a king who coveted magic enough to sell his soul for it would display it ostentatiously. However, even my arcane sight could not reveal magic in the gloomy town, filled with people who seemed to be preparing for their own funerals. According to the townsfolk, King Haggard keeps nothing near him that does not make him happy, which suggests that he enjoys nothing save wallowing in misery. Even a brief audience with Haggard himself showed me no trace of magic, wonder, or joy. His castle was like a tomb, and while his court wizard Mabrook was extraordinary, Haggard seemed to take no pleasure in him. 
I thought perhaps the bull had captured Mabrook. When I spoke to the wizard, he refused to divulge his master's secrets, but his manner was not that of a prisoner. The one exception to the hollowness of Hagsgate was the sea. There was something odd about the sea, a magical resonance that I could not place even with divination and detection spells. I found myself staring at it for over an hour, weeping at its beauty without quite knowing why. My patron may deem this to be mere sentiment, but I believe even he would be moved by the sight of the sea near Hagsgate. It gave me the same odd sensation that Seleno did, the impression that I was a dream, but the sea was real. Whatever Haggard is doing, he has concealed it well, but the sea is the heart of it. I might have stared at the waves for longer still, had the bull not emerged at sunset. With a terrible bellow, it rushed from the castle, hooves and horns flaming. The sea itself seemed to withdraw in terror from the sight of it, and a bone-deep horror gripped me with such intensity that I was running before I had consciously told my feet to move. I have seen nightmarish things, both on this journey and before it, but something about the bull. Had I died as a child, the hag would have delighted in my death, fed from it, felt something. I thought there could be no worse fate than prolonging her life with my own, but the bull's blind, idiot force was worse. It delighted in nothing, hungered for nothing, felt nothing. It was nothing. And all I could do before it was flee. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So I think this is officially our shortest, like, land domain summary we have had so far. Sleeping Beauty might have been Right, short. it's like three castles on a, <laughs> and, a, and a forest. But the real heart, the real meat of what we can give you to help you GM stuff in Hagrid's Kingdom is going to be here. Which is the, how do you run adventures here? Because this is a story, it's not really about the setting. It's about the stories. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get that material in talking about your stories in this setting. So there's a couple of things that could have brought your PCs to Hagrid's kingdom, other than you are of our generation and the last unicorn <laughs> has a special place in your heart and you have a good Christopher Lee impression. In which case, good job. Yes. So we have the possibility of you just kind of go there and once again this this fits more than some of the others this would be mm -hmm. less of a imposition railroady i think to end up here than some of the other domains because it is this like fairy tale archetype yeah that just you know oh you you follow a path and you end up in this world yeah you wander into the deep dark forest you come out in fairy tale and that feels right that does feel right this is one where honestly you can do a lot of this even if you're not doing anything in ravenloft yeah as i said it does feel very like homebrew D, &D mm -hmm. setting you know for not doing a lot of world building or just running D, D. that this could be you just you know they went to the dungeon and fought the goblins and got the reward from the king and then they went into the forest and they came out and they're hearing about this other king in this other land named king hagrid yeah you could plunk this in the middle of Rune and just take out closing the borders. Yeah, yeah, done. yeah. You could go there because you need to free the magical creatures that have been captured. So we kind of have, you know, B. Schmendrick and Mommy Fortuna's Carnival. You've somehow gotten some information that magical creatures are being captured and you are going to rescue them. And it could be something with Hagrid. Or once again, the great thing is because there's all this resonance, it could be something as simple as Mommy Fortuna's Carnival 
or even, you know, some random farmers managed to <laughs> get hold of some creature and you need to go free it from its captivity. And then another possibility is if you're coming in from an outside domain, you could have it be that Haggard's greed is actually reaching out beyond his domain and pulling in unicorns yes. from other domains, like especially your higher magic domains like right. Darkon or Tepest or Haslam where you might have a unicorn wandering around, then you could actually see these unicorns kind of getting sucked into the mist, screaming, and you you see the flashing red lights of the Red Bull in the background, and you know that this is happening. And that could also be good, because if this is something that's uh, resonating beyond Haggard's kingdom, then your characters who have some kind of connection Mm -hmm. to the Fae are going to be able to kind of plug into this. Like, if you have a, a warlock of the Archfey, especially one of the unicorn patrons, right, right. they might be hearing about this. Your druid might be getting kind of rumblings that there's something wrong with the land. There's a, There are a lot of options there. I know one of the nature, big nature goddesses mm-hmm. in Forgotten Realms, I think, takes the form of a unicorn, mm-hmm. a nature god or goddess. So mm-hmm. you have a cleric of them, you have a druid, even a ranger. Mm-hmm. You know, you're that, that anyone where you have this connection to either spirits, fae, or nature can be that connection, tasks them with rescuing the unicorns. Mm-hmm. And once again, this doesn't even need to be Ravenloft. This yeah. could just be a game you are running in Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're on Kryn, you've got the Forest Master. Right. So, lots of choices. Just like point to a chunk of the map of Forgotten <laughs> Realms where there's not much, which is a lot of it, and just make sure it's by the sea. Yeah. And write King Haggard's Castle. <laughs> so whatever, whether in Ravenloft, out of Ravenloft, whether through Forest Masters or Archfays or Unicorns mm-hmm. or just seeing a unicorn get kidnapped or whatever... Your players end up in this land, in King Hagrid's land, and what do you then do? What sort of thing do you run? And we've been talking about how it's all about theme, that there's Mm -hmm. this theme that runs through the book that Hagrid's the ultimate example of, but we have examples of it all through the book, and really it's amazing watching the movie, thinking about this, how strong this theme is, how almost every situation, almost every part of the movie is a resonates with this theme because it's a genius. Mm-hmm. And that we have the magic, the beauty, the wonder. People are infected by Haggard. Their hearts are infected by his power over the domain. And almost everyone in the domain sees those things and wants to possess them. It could be because they want to enjoy those things. It could be that, like Haggard does, they all, nothing makes them happy except the shining and their grace. It could be something as simple and crude as money, like the Mm -hmm. farmer trying to take the unicorn thinking she's a white mare. It could be, once again, that sort of love, Strahd, Tatiana, love-themed possessiveness we have with Lear. It could even be something like Mommy Fortuna, where you want to prove yourself that she kind of dies happy because (laughs) she's proven herself a real witch Mm -hmm. by capturing a harpy and a unicorn, even though it is her doom. And so the core story you're running is going to be a encountering that possessiveness and then dealing with it, overcoming it. Mm-hmm. Maybe freeing some kind of magical creature captured. Maybe once again, if you have non-human or magic PCs, they are the unicorn or the harpy <laughs> and them freeing themselves and overcoming this. But that core theme can take a whole bunch of variations, as we've said. So you can do a kind of Peter S. Beagle and have a couple different encounters and incidents that all reflect that core theme. So... The obvious one, as we said, we keep coming back to because it's the, kind of the whole thing in the microcosm is Mommy Fortuna. Yeah. That she's got the unicorn, she's got the harpy, maybe she's kind of even got Schmendrick. Maybe she captures the PCs or maybe the PCs are trying to free some 
other variant timeline magical creature that she's captured in this version. And that is what I would do if I were just doing a kind of drop-in one-shot. Would I just be doing the story with Mommy Fortuna? It would be, they you could have her carnival go anywhere, once again, even in like Forgotten Realms or Kryn or whatever. Mommy Fortuna, she's a witch, but she manages to capture a real magical creature, capture a unicorn, and the PCs then are the Schmendrick. Or once again, maybe she captures the PCs. Yes, and they have to free and themselves. He's like, oh, now in this cage we have the terrible devil with its horns, and it's your, it's your tiefling board. And you even get the fun, like... She puts the fake illusion on them, so they've got the, like, silly devil horns yes. from the Halloween costume on. However, if you love this movie, and if you think your players are going to love this movie, you want to do the unicorn yeah. You want to do King Hagrid. You want to go, I do, you are the last. You want to you take down the Red Bull. You, want, you right. want that moment when the unicorns come out of the ocean. Yes, yes. So... This is, as we said with a couple of these, I think there is a core story to do here. Yeah, the core story is basically to a glass unicorn. And it's tricky because you're no you're not going to be following the exact beats of Last Unicorn, presumably, like unless or unless you have exactly the right party that yeah, really right. wants to play Last Unicorn, you're like, hey, what if we do polymorph and turn her into a human? That's a great idea. So figuring out exactly how you're going to handle doing Last Unicorn is something we're gonna talk about a bit later. But really that idea of finding out what's happening to the unicorns, finding out that Hagrid is rounding them up, and then freeing them. And the great thing here is that, once again, this is a domain where you can have a positive impact, you can free them. Because Hagrid's torment is he'll never have all the unicorns, and that includes if he has none of the unicorns. Right, yes, exactly. So you can do, like, you know, and there, there is the whole thing in Curse of Strahd where... You quote unquote kill Strahd, and he's not really dead, but he's gone for a while while he yeah. kind of reforms himself. And you can have that here where you can free all the unicorns, maybe even knock Hagrid's castle down so it collapses right, yeah. and he needs to get himself a new castle. And you've bought them some time while he tries to, you know, get things together enough that he can start rounding them up again. And maybe even the ones that aren't living in his domain you freed permanently because right, maybe he's right. not going to be able to reach out into Darkon and grab that one this time. That's a big. Plus with this one is you actually can have that wonderful, cathartic, all the unicorns coming out of yes. the sea moment. Yes, Castle Crumble. You know, we don't see him die. We don't see a body. Nah! So yeah, this is one, I mean, it's true of a lot of domains and a lot of stories in general, mm-hmm. where you can just have the unambiguous happy ending as long as you're, like, cutting the camera at the right part. <laughs> as long as you're, like, oh, Castle Crumble's unicorns free. Credits. Then they leave, the PCs leave, job well done, and you don't need to dwell on the metaphysics of the Dark Lord curse. Mm-hmm. And how, like, well, you know, in a couple of no, no, yeah. unicorns are gonna... Like, no, just just give them the happy ending, let them go, and let them enjoy having done the amazing climax of Last Unicorn. So in this case, we have this core story, and this is how I see it going. Once again, like with some of these others, I feel like this is not like a third edition domain write-up. As much as it is is like second edition, they did an adventure Mm -hmm. that is in a new domain Mm -hmm. that really only exists to support this adventure. Mm -hmm. And maybe there'll be like some weird trying to turn it into its own completely independent setting in later editions. I feel like you could do something if if we're talking about all these people wanting to possess magical creatures and Mm -hmm. those are really sparking your imagination. You could have some side adventures that are kind of going off of that theme. It's not as there is exactly one story you can run here as say like... Odier, but mm-hmm. you all get turned into puppets. But it, it is, it is, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty close. Yeah. Pretty Odier adjacent. <laughs> so I think, was it uh, NVIDIA where it's like this kind of only really works when you're doing the Omen? Oh, 
Oh, gosh. Oh, NVIDIA. Mm. Triggered. Mm. Oh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And it was just, it was the one adventure, and then it was over, and then we were still stuck with NVIDIA. So, oh, yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> He was the little like he was he was the, 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 the little half demon child who was being the evil half. He's Damien from the Omen, right, yeah, but from then the he Omen. grows up, and no one cares yeah. about Damien from the Omen when he's grown up. There was, <laughs> there was, Omen three. Sam Neil was this guy was was Malokio Adair, who's not evil Pinocchio, and nobody cares about that. Mm -mm. That movie was. I don't think it was direct-to-video, but it was pretty close to being direct-to-video sequel, <laughs> right? So what we have in third edition is the direct-to-video third one in the trilogy of the pretty, pretty good original adventure. Gah! Anyway. <laughs> so back to King Haggard and uh, a really good movie. Omen's fun and all, but the... I get that the story we're saying is what if the last unicorn, but slightly different. <laughs> With but your PCs. that's what you're here for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's why you're listening to this, because you want to do what if the last unicorn, but slightly different, and your PCs are Schmendrick and Molly Grew. <laughs> and you know, once again, if you're listening and saying, but I don't want to do what if the last unicorn was slightly different, you can play on this theme of the idea of kind of magical possessiveness and whatnot, mm -hmm. and have it be like there's some other, you know, Hagrid's off getting the unicorns, whatever, that's great, we're going to completely ignore that. We've got some other noble over here who's got, like, you know, his collection of wizards in his basement that he's forcing right, to yeah, do, yeah. like, magical things. And you have to go and free that. If, if you want to not do unicorns and the Red Bull and whatnot because your PCs are going to, like, yes, 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 it's the last unicorn. We get it. Then you can use this theme and still do something with this setting. Let us know in the comments if you decide to do the last wizard. <laughs> I knew you were the last! <laughs> So we said we both kind of see this as having a core story, but there are a lot of variations because it's about themes, and those themes can take a lot of forms. And we'll talk about some other forms, however, you might see in our Dread Possibility section. So in our Dread Possibility section, sometimes we will have fun AUs. We don't have that here. Mm -hmm. But we always have our discussing it with doing it with younger players because this is a beloved film a lot of us probably saw as children mm -hmm. and my, there are a lot of kids that love this story and that might be something you have a group of kids you play with you want to do something with the last unicorn with them or maybe like us you have a daughter who really loves unicorns or a son who really loves unicorns mm -hmm. and you're like hey I want to play unicorns yeah unicorns this is a whole thing about very unicorn centric mm-hmm so it also might be that, like us and you, you are your group is made of adults who mm -hmm. also love The Last Unicorn. It's a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Yeah. And so you want to do this with a adult audience so you can age it up a little. And we want to give you both options, aging down and aging up. By the way, with our unicorn-loving child, uh, she just had her birthday party, so we are recording this surrounded by unicorn decorations from Party City. No, just, yeah. Just to set the scene for you. There are, there are streamers, there's a Table happy cloth, birthday banner, yeah. there's, yeah. Unicorns, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> it's pretty glorious. So, first, we always do aging down. If you are thinking of running a last unicorn-inspired game for a group of younger players, then how would you tweak what we have given? Because we're trying to give... Basically like a PG-13, mm -hmm. TV-14 kind of story. But what if you want to like do that a little bit younger, a little bit more like PG-TV-Y7 type story. Mm -hmm. And very little. Yeah. There's very little mm -hmm. you have to do here. The big thing 
is the word we keep using because we're nerds. <laughs> theme. Mm-hmm. That so much of The Last Unicorn is the themes, and the themes are very adult. And that is the adult content, really, mm-hmm. in The Last Unicorn. There's no violence or inappropriateness or anything like that that would be a problem in either the book or the movie. Let's cut the tree. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so you cut the tree, point number one. <laughs> But the real adult thing in this story is the themes and the ideas. And it's just this meditation on death, on immortality, on mortality, on obsession, on the idea of sort of how you live in the world and how you think about the world and how you think about the good things in the world. And those are very adult themes Mm -hmm. in this very kid-friendly rapper, basically, in this very Mm -hmm. kid-friendly plot and world. I remember, actually, the first time I saw Last Unicorn, I don't remember very much about watching it, but I remember I had a nightmare that involved Mommy Fortuna. And I think I'm not the only person that had a Last Mm -hmm. Unicorn-related nightmare. (laughs) And it's not even, like, there's some stuff that you'd say, yeah, that's scary. But really, I think, I remember reading an essay someone wrote about watching The Last Unicorn as a kid, and they had some line where it was like, I was watching this movie, and it was kind of scary because it was so adult. And not adult in terms of the way people think of adult, but because it was about adult feelings. So they specifically mentioned the scene with Mommy Fortuna where Selano is freed, the harpy's freed, and is is coming to kill and eat Mommy Fortuna. (laughs) But Mommy Fortuna sort of like cackling joyously and just, I caged you and you'll remember that forever. And that's my, and like just, I'm, I'm rejoicing in the fact that this is happening because I proved myself and I got my immortality. You have to really be an adult to get what the emotions of that scene. Mm-hmm. And they're so big and powerful and strange that, yeah, I can see for a lot of kids watching, that can be scary. So for kids, you just cut a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the Last Unicorn is a great, just plot-wise, great kid story. We watch it with our kids, and our four-year-old, we could basically explain the plot. Mm-hmm. There's a unicorn. She hears she's the last unicorn. She wants to know what happened to the others. An evil red bull took them because there's an evil king who wants to keep all the unicorns for himself. So they have to go in the king's castle to find the Red Bull so they can fight him and let the unicorns free. He really enjoyed it, except that there were far too many tragic parts with no Red Bull in them. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He likes monsters. He's a monster kid. <laughs> so yeah, easiest, easiest, peasiest adaptation possible for Aging Down. Do all the plot stuff we're talking about and don't necessarily dig into some of the themes we're talking mm-hmm. about. But what about Aging Up? That's a little trickier. There's a little more there. Yeah, because again, there is so much thematic stuff. This is another one where I don't think we're going to need to give you a skip ahead warning. I don't think there's going to be any like content stuff here that kids can't listen to. The unicorn should eat human flesh <laughs> and drink blood. Their horns are made of skeletons. But just so it's, it's going to be stuff that we wouldn't want to run for kids, but I think it's going to be okay to listen to the kids in the room. So, yeah, for Aging Up, you know, obviously there is just the engaging with those themes, you know, getting into the idea of mortality, immortality, you know, obsession, what does all that mean? As usual, you age up by doing the opposite of aging down. Mm-hmm. You could make the Red Bull really scary. Yeah, yeah. For Aging Down, I think I would just have the Red Bull as a monster. Uh-huh. Like, for kids, it's like, it's just, it's a big bull monster. It's a big it's magic scary. bull that chases the unicorns away. But... You really get the sense of it as this implacable force of nature, like almost Lovecraftian. Mm -hmm. 
And there's this in the book when it's coming after the unicorn. The thing that terrifies her the most isn't how big it is and isn't that it might kill her because she was like, yeah, the harpy might kill me. That's mm-hmm. fine. But it's the, the Red Bull doesn't know her and it doesn't recognize her and it doesn't know she's a unicorn. And if it killed her, it wouldn't mean anything. And that kind of like the idea of, of the nihilistic idiot universe. Yeah. Very cosmic horror, very Lovecraftian, very like antithetical to what the unicorn stands for. This whole, you know, wonder, numinous, like there is meaning in the universe. Everything is becoming a story. You know, you could really get into some interesting stuff with playing up kind of the nihilistic cosmic horror of the Red Bull versus sort of this like sense of meaning and story and wonder and beauty as represented by the other magical creatures. But that's going to get into both some very complicated and very scary characters. Right, yeah. Not not so much for the aging now. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That might be a real interesting thing for your adult players to grapple with. You know, an obvious thing that you would need to Session Zero the heck out of, Mm -hmm. the idea of them wanting to possess magical creatures. Hey, we just talked about Frollo wanting to possess Esmeralda. Connect the dots. Some of your minds might have already been going down yeah, or, yeah, you yeah. know, talking about it with, with the, the human-like ones. So, you know, session zero it, whatever, that's that's an option that you can go with. So there is one bit here that we're going to talk about harm coming to unicorns, which uh-huh. I know when I was yeah. seven years old would have made me cry. If you have a child who's going to cry being in the room. If you perhaps about... had a unicorn party and are sitting in a room mm-hmm. full of <laughs> unicorn streamers. <laughs> And a unicorn plastic tablecloth and a unicorn happy birthday banner. Then maybe skip this bit. Future Angel's going to tell you how far to skip ahead now. Boop. If you're in the same room as a small child with a unicorn t-shirt, you're going to want to skip ahead about two minutes. Another place this can go, a less obvious place for the kind of the idea of obsession and possessiveness is there was a pretty mediocre book called Perfume the Story of Murder. It got made into a movie with Alan Rickman. Spoilers for a mediocre book. It's it's not worth it. You know we don't give you spoilers for the good books. We didn't spoil Spinning Silver for you, but Perfume's not worth it. There was this bit where he, like, discovered the perfume that was the scent that was kind of the root of all human desire. That, like, when you see a beautiful woman, the reason that you think that she's beautiful is because of the way she smells. And he was able to, like, kind of distill the scent and everything. And he put it on himself, but it was too much of it. And everyone wanted to possess him because they're perceiving him as being so beautiful. And they ended up ripping him apart with their mm-hmm. hands. Like, ripping him apart. And they might have eaten him. I'm not sure. But so you, you can get into some stuff like that with wanting to possess the magical creatures if you want to go in a less kind of risque and more gory direction with it. That also might be something that we're not going to have this in the chart because this would be an aging up. Mm-hmm. But we talk about having encounters based on the idea of possessing creatures of magic and wonder. And if this were a grittier, darker, grimmer adult setting, you might get into some of the, like, pizza dragon. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We want to possess this unicorn because we can make so, so, so much money selling its parts on the black market, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. grinding up the horn, making an aphrodisiac. Or, you know, well, I'm not going to be able to keep the unicorn forever, just as Mommy Fortuna, but I could mm-hmm. keep its parts forever. Mm-hmm, I, could, yeah. I could keep it stuffed and mounted in my hunting lodge like a casson forever. Yeah, harpy feathers can be made into uh, all sorts of valuable magical things that cure all sorts of ailments and mm-hmm. that, that kind of deal. So 
that would totally be in keeping with the themes, mm-hmm. but that is not something you would run even for like the PG-13 level normal baseline of that theme of possession and owning and treating magical objects as these things that can be bought and sold. And with kind of that idea of getting into the grittiness and the, if you want to do kind of a grittier version of this, then there's a really interesting story to tell here. And I I love this book. I love this movie. If I were to do this, I'd want to handle it very delicately. But I think with the right group, it could be very, very interesting. Of the idea that this is a world that's been stripped of wonder. This is a world that's been stripped of joy. And really playing up the darkness and the grittiness and the evil of this world so that the light of the unicorn and the light of the actual magic can shine more brightly mm-hmm. against it. It would take a deft touch to run this and not have it just be grimdark and not have yeah. it just be Game of Thrones. That has with a unicorn. With a unicorn that gets eaten. But I feel like if you if you had the right group and you all wanted the same thing out of it, you could get something really beautiful and rewarding and interesting out of, no, the world has become Game of Thrones mm-hmm. because Haggard took all but one of the mm-hmm. unicorns. But when people come in contact with the unicorn, some of them get transformed. And you could even have, maybe if you wanted to do this, you could have a character who starts out in a much darker place than Molly, mm-hmm. but has never given up on unicorns. Like someone who's much more of like a Sandor Clegane, uh-huh. who has an encounter with a unicorn and is changed. And that could, again, have some really dark lows, but some really shining and beautiful highs. And that, that's something that I'm really into. <laughs> so I, I love the dark lows and the bright highs that balance each other out. So. I think that for doing this kind of game, the key would be to kind of zoom in on the Captain Kali mm-hmm. sequence. And I've always found it fascinating, that, mm-hmm. that part of the story. And this idea of you have this group of forest bandits who is sort of deliberately playing up and invoking the idea of Robin Hood and of being these, like, merry men and noble freedom fighters and robbing from the rich and stealing from the poor. But no, they're just grubby thieves. Mm -hmm. They just steal from whoever they can get a hold of. And in fact, in the book, it even goes into, like, they they have to basically pay protection money Uh to one of the local, like, mayors. So no, we're actually robbing from the poor and giving to (laughs) To the the rich. (laughs) And the grubby reality versus this sort of heroic, mythic legend that they're trying to project and that you could once again imagine in Game of Thrones with those kind of characters of these bandits that kind of claim to be freedom fighters but are just murderers and thieves. Mm-hmm. And that kind of streak of cynicism then coming into contact with the unicorn. Yeah. And it's darker, but it is once again still keeping a lot of those core themes that are so important to the book mm-hmm. and to the movie. For me, you know, if I were doing this, you, if you're doing this and want to kind of maintain the tone of The Last Unicorn, you know, if, you're, if you just want to use this, The Last Unicorn as a jumping off point to run Game of Thrones, go ahead. But if Tell you, us in the comments. <laughs> but if you want to be kind of having it recognizably having that same tone and themes and message, then the trick is to make sure that the unicorn isn't treated cynically in any yeah, way. Yeah. That the unicorn and, you know, some of the other magical creatures, you know, obviously the harpy is bad news. You're, you're going to have some, mm-hmm. like, evil magical creatures. But that any of these kind of, like, beautiful, like, numinous, with their shining and their grace, like, uh-huh. creatures that kind of elevate people out of themselves, you don't want to drag them down to the level of the rest of the mm-hmm. world. Because the rest of the world is where it is because they aren't there. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully, we have given you some possibilities of how to do this 
Last Unicorn-inspired either Ravenloft game or even non-Ravenloft game, but some kind of like Last Unicorn-inspired, hopefully Last Unicorn-evoking game for a wide variety of player ages and interests in Grim Darkness. <laughs> and let's wrap up our discussion of this absolute masterpiece of a film slash a book, give you our parting thoughts in a section we like to call Parting Thoughts. So the first thing we do in Parting Thoughts is talk about the genres of horror. And this is, taking from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, it's one of my, I think, the best part of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, just objectively, where they divide these genres of horror. They talk about hallmarks, the fear of those genres, the fear of being evoked, different domains. They give you the genres of horror of those domains because that lets you run the horror of that domain. So like the horror of Barovia versus the horror of Darkon. And thinking about them in terms of that genre, I think is very helpful mm -hmm. for giving you that individual experience that domain is supposed to evoke. Mm -hmm. So this is a really hard one. <laughs> Normally it's not that hard, mm -hmm. but for this one, just this is such a beautiful, delicate fairy tale. It's one of those where, like, making this a horror setting. Mm -hmm. And there's one genre, I think, that we've already... There's an obvious already, one. Yeah, there's yeah. an obvious one. And so we're going to count on the count of three. Ready? <laughs> one, two, three. Dark, Dark fantasy. fantasy. Yeah! That, <laughs> I would about, have cut... It's about unicorns! I would have cut that if she said, Garlic! <laughs> so, like, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not hard to take this story and put it under one of those little boxes because there's a box with the word fantasy in the title mm -hmm. and this has unicorns and magic and, and magic unicorns. And it is fantasy and if you're putting it in Ravenloft you will be making it dark thus dark, dark fantasy. fantasy. But I'm just imagining Last Unicorn as a horror setting and that's I think where it gets a really tricky mm -hmm. because the horror is so much about the kind of themes and ideas. Like yeah. the horror is so internal and it's the horror of like human mortality. <laughs> For me, like I was also really struggling with what the other genre of horror would be until we actually started podcasting about it. Like before mm -hmm. before we got on mic, I was like, I have no idea what our other genres are. Oh, have one. <laughs> yeah. But the more we've been talking about it you know, again, and I've said it a couple times, I really think cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah. Because there is this theme, like, it's not just mortality and immortality. It's also about meaning mm -hmm. and what gives your life meaning. And, like, what is real? What isn't real? Like, are you real? Are you just a supporting character right, in another right. story? Is there a story? Is all of this, you know, just the, the unicorn story and you're a bit player in it? Mm -hmm. Or is it the, just the Red Bulls, like, shrieking nonsense that's utterly meaningless? Is Haggard destroying the story mm -hmm. of the world by taking in the unicorns? So I, I really think there's some interesting cosmic horror potential here. Absolutely, yes. Especially, I wasn't zooming in as much. That's more, that's, that's all you. <laughs> the Red Bull is the sort of Lovecraftian, just idiot brute force that's just pushing and destroying and smashing everything. Just kind of a... What if this creature that's sort of a, an idiot child with a hammer mm -hmm. is running around smashing things to smash them? But I was zooming in as we were recording before on the potential for cosmic horror of the being part of a story. Yeah. The being pulled into a story. So it, we, we touched on this a lot in our episode on Peter Pan and Neverland, and you should listen to that. It's really good. <laughs> I'm not going to like super rehash everything. But in Last Unicorn, there's this sense of that they are bit players in the unicorn story 
And then she gets turned to Lady Amalthea, and now it's sort of, is this the story of the prince and the princess? In which case, she's not going to ever be a unicorn again, because they need mm-hmm. to live happily ever after. But then we even have that bit where she says, Amalthea says, no, for, forget the unicorns, forget the Red Bull, let's just be together. Mm-hmm. Because if I turn back to a unicorn, I'll, I'll lose you forever. And Lear sort of says, like, no, I'm the hero and this is my job. Like, mm-hmm. this is kind of my destiny and my role. I have to fight the monster and mm-hmm. I have to save the day. And that's how stories work. And kind of being a hero means you understand how stories work and you understand your role in stories. Yeah. And in the book and in the movie, that's this very kind of wry, self-aware, kind of almost beautiful thing about the power of stories and some of the good they can do but you could take that especially with stubborn pcs (laughs) that could be a very horrific thing Mm -hmm. that you're trapped in the story and you're a character and you can't be anything but a character and the story's going to end the way the story's going to end yeah or if you again if you want to play with that as being something more like wry and beautiful this is the way the world should be then you still do have the cosmic horror of all of this is coming from the unicorn and Hagrid is taking the unicorns out of the world, so he is actually destroying all meaning in the world. Mm-hmm. He is turning the mm-hmm. world into this Lovecraftian chaos. Very, so, uh, yeah, that's yeah. very true. That's good stuff. Thank you. That's horror, yeah. <laughs> I think I was really having trouble finding the horror here, mm-hmm. other than, like, people, what? They, they don't accept that life is transient. <laughs> they, they seek to hold on to it instead of letting experiencing life. Or even but you really f- nailed the Red Bull thing. Thank you, honey. <laughs> so that's going to be a really different take on The Last mm-hmm. Unicorn. But I do think that is a valid read of everything mm-hmm. in The Last Unicorn. That's mm-hmm. not just like, the unicorn eats flesh and drinks blood. <laughs> like, you could even say with, with Mommy Fortuna that, no, she wants to be real. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of, her, it's, it's not just a desire to be immortal, it's a desire to be real. Mm-hmm. And that she's not real because she's going to die. But if Selena remembers her, then she's going to be real in a way that nothing else is. And yeah, that's reality horror, Holmes. <laughs> so if you're going to decide to run uh, either a wry, wistful, delicate, dark fairy tale about the nature of mortality, or a horrific Lovecraftian nightmare of playing Captain in the Woods and realizing you're a character in a story... <laughs> With unicorns. There might have been a unicorn in Captain in the Woods, actually. I think there, yes, there was there a unicorn in Captain in the Woods. There you go. <laughs> Do that. Rachel, what kind of game is suitable for this setting? This is an area where I think we're actually in a little bit of disagreement. Okay. Oh, no. mm-hmm. So, so why, don't, why don't you do your pitch first? Because, okay. once again, we were in agreement until we started podcasting. Oh, okay. And then I realized that, no. Slide, baby. I'm my own woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do the same things not in the script. <laughs> So my thought is some domains, this is not an opinion, this is true. Uh, Some domains are huge sandbox settings where you can have literally years of play, dozens of plot threads, and whole giant campaigns can be set just in that domain. Mm -hmm. It's your classic example. You've got Barovia. Even just Curse of Strahd, which is like half the content of three Barovia, people run that for years. There's and then Tom has written, what, three other mods? Yes. Barovia? Yes, I can have. add on to what's already there. And plenty of people have expanded it. And that's, if you've got the older material in Barovia, there's even a ton of stuff you could do doesn't engage with Strata. Mm-hmm. The other extreme is you've got some domains, and it sounds like it's it's inferior, but it's absolutely not. Mm-mm. They're made to do one story. And They're they made, do it perfectly. Yes, very, very well. <laughs> 
And they're really, there might be like a couple little variants or like a side quest or two, but there's really one story. It's not a setting you could run months and months and sessions and sessions and sessions and sessions of gameplay in with like a million plot hooks and NPCs and a big sandbox. So I would say from the new material, I'm trying to shake things up, not do, <laughs> not do our old classics, that we get a little write-up on Sire 1313, mm. which is a domain and is a ghost train. Mm-hmm. And you go there and you do a ghost train. You get on the ghost train and you bust ghosts and you befriend ghosts and you help them in the afterlife and you discover secrets and you move through the train like Snowpiercer either (laughs) all the way up to the front where like the secret mysterious Dark Lord passenger is and maybe have a boss fight or whatever and then you get off the ghost train and you continue with your life. There's not a years long sandbox to run in Sire 1313. Although if you have Rome a year-long sandbox in Star 1313, let us know. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> this is, I think, in the middle. I think you could do a one-shot here, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I think there's really one story that's going to engage all the themes and is going to be really satisfying to your players that love The Last Unicorn. So I think you could do a story, if you're doing a one-shot, right? If you're like, I have one three-hour session (laughs) scheduled for Last Unicorn, then I would do basically the Mommy Fortuna sequence. Mm -hmm. You you come out of the mist, you're in Mommy, or they just, Mommy Fortuna rolls into town, and she's got the unicorn captured, maybe it's got the harpy captured. Your PCs, you can see that these are real magical creatures, you can talk to them. You befriend the unicorn, you have to kind of get past Mommy Fortuna and her minions and her monsters and whatever, help the unicorn escape. You're Schmendrick, basically. It's up to you if you want to have actual Schmendrick. But the great thing is, if they don't, then, you know, they know their job is to step up. I think any of them that have seen The Last Unicorn, Mommy Fortuna, Capture Unicorn, there's no Schmendrick. They immediately get what their job is. Yeah, I, I would not have a Schmendrick because Schmendrick's a PC. I yeah, would yeah, just, yeah, I would cut him entirely and let the PCs be Schmendrick. And then there's a big, like, set piece where the Harpy also escapes. And there's a big fight and a lot of stuff's happening. And you help the Unicorn escape. And then you move on. Everybody high fives and talks about how great The Last Unicorn was and sings some of the music. <laughs> And then, and then everybody goes home and then on to the next session. So that is my suggestion for if you, a single one shot. For running a longer adventure, I think that that's the start, but it's the whole, you are in the domain of Hagrid's land. You befriend the unicorn. You find out about the unicorn's quest. Like maybe you're there for one of our plot hooks where, hey, we're looking for unicorns too. That would even get you hooked in right away. If you're like, we got sent here to look for unicorns. There's a unicorn in a cage. (laughs) You have to herd the players to the plot there. And then you do the story. The unicorns found out from Mommy Fortuna that the Red Bull of King Haggard took the others. You go with the unicorn to King Haggard's castle. You have some encounters along the way. Like in the canon story, it would be they rolled on the the Captain Cully Bandit encounter (laughs) on the chart. And then you arrive at Hagrid's castle, and you have some kind of confrontation with the Red Bull. Maybe you decide to do the full last unicorn and turn her (laughs) into a human and infiltrate the castle, or just something happens. That's really kind of where your players have to figure out how much they want to deviate from the story. Mm -hmm. But that they're traveling to Hagrid's castle, and... PCs being PCs, maybe they just immediately roll initiative and fight the Red Bull when it shows up, (laughs) which is fine. Yeah. 
One way to get around that, if, if, if your PCs aren't going to do the full turning around to human and everything, and you want to have other options, you could have it be that there's some secret to defeating the Red Bull that's hidden somewhere in Hagrid's Right, Castle. right. So that's so they have to go undercover, they have to find it. Like, mm -hmm. maybe if, if they don't polymorph the unicorn, they hide her somewhere. Right. Or maybe even she's in the ocean for a while, but then they're able to free her. But something happens that they have to go and, you know, find this this key in Hagrid's Castle that's going to be the, the key to defeating the bull. Right. Or maybe it's like he has some kind of charm they use to control it. They have mm. to smash or mm. something like that. You know, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what PC's like. Wizards, they have dragons, they have magic staffs. You mm -hmm. smash the magic staff, the dragon eats them, whatever. <laughs> but so, yeah. You, in some way, your PCs have to defeat the Red Bull. And then you get the ending, and it's great, and the castle collapses, and the unicorns all stream out, and Hagrid goes, la lost! <laughs> and even if it makes no sense in the context of your particular story, it's going to happen. You know it. <laughs> Everybody high-fives, sings I'm Alive, and then goes home, and then gets ready to move on to the next tome. <laughs> so in my mind, that is sort of the story that's to be told here, and that's going to give your players what they want, which is unicorns and King Hagrid. <laughs> See, I'm going to push back a little bit. Counterpoint! Yes! Because I do agree that the core story is this idea of rescuing the magical creatures and whatnot, but I think that there is room to do that with more than just King Haggard. I think that with some mm -hmm. of the random encounter ideas that you have for setting up along mm -hmm. the way, or even the idea of, of other creature rescue things, like this is one I feel like where if you didn't want to do your Christopher Lee impression, mm -hmm. or if, you know, for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Or you know, more more likely, if you were like, last unicorn is perfect, I don't yeah, want to yeah. touch the unicorn and King Haggard and the Red Bull, that's too much. To spoil our strengths and weaknesses section. Yes. Then there's a lot of room here for engaging with these themes with original villains who encapsulate them. Mm. That you could have... I'm sorry, this is the Rachel Spoils novels episode, I guess. <laughs> but I'm only spoiling like the... like. End of Act 1 plot twist for this one. I just finished reading Dance of the Dead by Christy Golden, which is one of the better Ravenloft novels. It's, mm -hmm. it's probably the best Ravenloft novel I've read that doesn't have straw in it. It's very good. Either of those make excellent cover blurb. <laughs> <laughs> one of the better Ravenloft novels. Well, the best Ravenloft novel I've read that doesn't have straw in it. Last episode, I said I had not read Tower of Doom. I am so sorry to report that that is no longer the case. Tragic update to our, <laughs> our previous story. I read Down to the Dead after Tower of Doom. It is Shakespeare. Christy <laughs> Golden is Shakespeare. <laughs> but no, it's, it's very good. I enjoy it. I recommend it. It's one of the ones that you can acquire legally because it's back in print on Kindle. And I think Audible. But um, you find out, you know, spoiler for the Act 1 going into Act 2 plot twist, that the riverboat that they're on, kind of the traveling showboat, is actually kidnapping magical creatures and using their powers to sort of fuel the performances. That they've got, like, water creatures that are kind of guiding the way for the boat and making sure that the way ahead of it is always clear. They've got, you know, charisma-enhancing creatures to be enhancing everybody's performances. Like, by cracky, this captain knows what he wants to do and is putting on the best performance he can, no matter how many magical creatures he has to enslave in the process. And you could do something like that with Last Unicorn. They've got somebody who sees these magical creatures and all they see is a way to make money off of them, and so you have to go in and free them. And that is a pretty time-honored fantasy story. Right, of right. The, you've got kind of the, the poor enslaved, like, freaks and misfits and everything. Every episode of Wildcrats. So you could do that. And, you know, I do agree that this is a domain 
that you couldn't do years and years and years of gaming in because you can only do that story so many times before it gets old. But it is a story where there's room to engage with stuff and not engage with the main story if you don't want to because these themes and Haggard's state of mind have trickled down so far. Would, this mm-hmm. is the, the mm-hmm. portion of your thesis, would you still have like an encounter, would the unicorn be central to this? Or would it just, that's just its whole own thing going on and this is other magical creatures and things are the focus of this story? I think it would depend. It would mm. depend on what you want to do. It could be something that's very similar to Mommy Fortuna, but you're making up your own villain, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in that case, they could have the unicorn as one of the creatures they've captured, and you could have that kind of idea of the unicorn as this creature of beauty and this creature that shouldn't be... I think I would do that. I think I would have the unicorn mm-hmm. because then you have sort of the, no, this is this is wrong. You shouldn't be keeping this unicorn. This is a beautiful, beautiful creature that deserves to be free, and like even more than all the other creatures that are trapped here, this mm. is obscene. To mm. keep the unicorn trapped, you're like this. The unicorn needs to be free. The world is a darker and more horrible place because the unicorn isn't out in it. There really isn't, I can think, a mythical creature that has quite the same like emotional resonance mm-hmm. as a unicorn. Mm-hmm. And there's others that have incredibly powerful emotional resonance. Like, it would be really significant if it were a dragon or a phoenix. Mm-hmm. And those are like, oh, my, that's horrible that they've, mm-hmm. they've captured a phoenix and they're not letting it be free. Or they've captured a dragon, which is supposed to be this incredibly, like, primevally powerful transcendent being. But the unicorn just really has that unique kind of cultural emotional space of beauty, of wonder, of goodness, of purity and innocence, Mm -hmm. and it's a strong connection with nature, the idea of a protector of nature, and so I agree. That was the right answer. Good job. You passed. (laughs) I was also, I was going to say I really think that the the key ingredient in whatever recipe you're Mm -hmm. making from our cookbook is a unicorn. Yes. Only not literally. (laughs) So if they decide they're going to maybe deviate, not have Hagrid so much, the great thing is you could take this basic story and run it in a variety of settings. Is there a way, Rachel, they could be connecting it with maybe some of the older canon Ravenloft domains? Absolutely they could. This isn't one, you know, the past couple we've been talking about kind of like their socio-political connections to the other domains. There's not so much that here. We do finally have one here that is not going to be set next to Damon Lou. Yeah, right. Or, uh, or Sir Anya. With, I think we're done with the Francophonic yeah. movies for a while. <laughs> So there's not one where there's an obvious, like, oh, well, these are the the trade relations that this domain would have with Mm -hmm. King Hagrid. But there are a couple of cool ways that you could be starting in other domains and have it be connecting to the last unicorn. One is with Mommy Fortuna. Maybe she's not just in Hagrid's domain. Maybe she's got her little midnight carnival that's sort of her evil counterpoint to Carnival, mm. and she's kind of wandering around mm-hmm, doing stuff, mm-hmm. you meet her in another domain, and then you go into King Hagrid's domain. She picks you up in, like, Barovia or Darkon or whatever. She makes a great, like, Mist Traveler. She does, yeah. Another really... Getting more into the weeds of uh, the old... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not Wonderful World of Dark Lords. Hey, it's your first episode. This is what we do. <laughs> My way, I mean rich. But there is a really cool monster in the older material bingo that's Mm -hmm. the shadow unicorn and the idea is that 
because Ravenloft is ruled by the dark powers, then kind of all the natural creatures, all the fae, everything that has a strong connection to the land has sort of been corrupted by the dark powers and is becoming evil. So like all the treants in Ravenloft are evil because they're, you know, soaking in the horrible sunlight and water and whatnot of, of Ravenloft. In Curse of Strahd, it touches on this idea of world building with the whole thing with the druids in Yesterhill worshipping Strahd. Mm -hmm. They have this cult of druids that has said Strahd is the ancient, he is the land, that means he is our god. Mm -hmm. So, those who know Curse of Strahd, just imagine that idea that those druids believe, but actually affecting all of the sort of nature-connected fey creatures elemental creatures in the monster manual yeah so you could do something i wouldn't obviously you don't want to have the unicorns in this domain right. the shadow unicorns because we're going for the purity the goodness the whatnot that is the thing we said specifically not to do. <laughs> it sure is but one cool thing you could do is have it be that wherever your pcs are suddenly there are shadow unicorns mm. everywhere that shadow unicorns are there have been more of them no one has ever seen this many shadow unicorns before they're normally in the deep dark forest they're not just in the deep dark forest anymore they're just shadow unicorns coming out of everywhere and it's because the unicorns that are trapped in the sea that this is kind of their fear and their despair and their rage sort of manifesting as like these ghostly demon unicorns really that have cool. just kind of been driven mad by their captivity and are out wreaking havoc in the world. And so you actually have to go and save the unicorns in order to stop these shadow unicorns from running roughshod over what domain you're starting in. And it's going to especially work if you're somewhere with a more magical domain, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in Darkon or something, and Azalin can tell you, hey, this is what's going on, go yeah. fix it. This, I think, would be the best hook for a pre-existing Ravenloft group to do this. To go from, like, a pre-existing Ravenloft domain into Hagrid's kingdom to do this Last Unicorn story. This is what I would do if I were running Ravenloft and said, I really want to do the Last yeah. Unicorn. And that actually raises the stakes even higher because it's not just, you know, we love this unicorn and she needs to be in the world and we don't want her to be trapped. It's if she gets trapped, she's going to turn into that. Mm -hmm. Like some, some part of her is going to be that. Mm -hmm. And that, nope, nope. <laughs> don't like that. <laughs> so that's how we bring it into our existing Ravenloft domain. But why would we want to bring it into our existing Ravenloft domain? Tom, what are some of the strengths of this setting? It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's the best thing ever. The end. Um, no, really, <laughs> specifically the strengths of doing this for uh, Ravenloft, a D&D game. And I was thinking about this. We touched on this with the aging up and aging down. This is a fantasy story for adults. But once again, the adultness isn't the content. It's a fantasy story really grappling with and commenting on some of those complex, messy adult experiences and emotions that's not being Game of Thrones. Not being like, mm -hmm. what if everyone was filthy and murderous? And <laughs> everyone was corrupt and a hypocrite. But no, this is this setting that's very much a classic fantasy book, fairy tale world, but that has all the sort of emotional weight of real experience. And I think a lot of us the best and most powerful experiences we have playing D&D are that. Mm -hmm. Are this world is not grim and gritty and everything's covered in mud and blood and everyone's murdering each other and stealing from each other. 
it's no this is a like high fantasy world with high fantasy adventure and everyone has good hygiene <laughs> and the beds at the inn aren't covered with lice and bed bugs and stuff but in that fantasy renfair theme park setting we have real emotional experiences mm-hmm. we have real meditations on the important themes of life so this is i think a great fit for getting a powerful emotional story in a D&D setting. Yeah, because the thing with playing D&D, all of us who, I think, play D&D, it's because some part of us wants there to be magic in the world. It's because we want to see a unicorn. It's because we are Molly Grew. Mm-hmm. Just we, there's some part of us that has been waiting our entire life to see a unicorn. And if we ever did, we would fall at her feet and say, where have you been? Mm-hmm. And this is that story. And if we if we didn't want that, then we wouldn't be playing D&D. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be playing in a world where unicorns are real if some part of us didn't want it to be true. So, yeah, this is a really great setting for you to hopefully play with those themes with your players. But what about the challenges? It's perfect. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. Just that's the thing. The mm. thing that we keep dancing around and or coming right out and saying throughout this is this... It, the book is literally perfect. Like, there, mm-hmm. there's not a single flaw with this book. It is a perfect book. It's amazing. And the only thing that's not perfect about yeah. the movie is that it's shorter than the book. <laughs> and some of the songs when they get to the castle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's fair. You know, now, if it now was... Now that I'm a woman, everything is changed. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be able to do it justice. We're uh-huh. not going to be able to do yeah, it justice. Yeah. No one can do it justice. You're going to have to do dialogue for King Hagrid. You're going to have to come up with things for him to say that right. sound like King Hagrid. Right. And, and none of us... Dark yeah. poetry oh. and the just and beautiful despair of every line King Haggard has of nothing brings me joy except their shining and their grace. Just no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to come up with anything to rival, I know you! I almost knew you as soon as I saw you on the road coming to my door. Since then, there is no moment of yours that has not betrayed you. A pace, a glance, a turn of the head, the flash of your throat as you breathe, even your way of standing perfectly still. They were all my spies. Yeah, like, spontaneous, like, just in (laughs) conversation with uh, your players. No. So that's, that's one problem. The Ravenloft version of it is going to be a horror story. It's going to be a horror version because Ravenloft is a horror That's setting. That's the nature of the yeah. domain. And since it's not a horror story, then it's kind of untrue to the story to make it horror. Like, there's a big part of me that hears horror version of Last Unicorn and recoils. <laughs> yeah. Like, physically ill at that thought. Like, if you're going to do this, you have to do it exactly right because there's so much of this story that's antithetical to horror. Like, and once again, especially the unicorn herself is just completely antithetical to horror. And that's... I have, I have opinions. I have opinions. <laughs> this is really making me... This is in the script. It's a lie, baby. Reflect on why is the horror version of this less true and less authentic than literally everything else we've done. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because a lot of Disney movies do have an element of darkness and terror. And it's drawing much more directly from like capital H horror genre work. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. horror movies and horror fiction. So even just going back to the original Snow White, that yeah, a lot of the scene where she's running through the forest 
That's just horror. Mm-hmm. That's just a horror sequence. Mm-hmm. The scene the where the evil queen transforms with a hack is just a horror sequence. Mm-hmm. The the Pleasure Island donkey transformations. I was watching a thing about the making of, and one of the people was saying, this is like a nightmare. This mm-hmm. is the scariest thing Disney's ever done. Mm-hmm. This is film like a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. This is just horrific body horror. Mm-hmm. Or even Beauty and the Beast that, no, that's legit creepy gothic horror when Belle's wandering through the mm-hmm. castle. And so just with this movie, there isn't that legit capital H horror genre thing to kind of hang our hat on. So even with Beauty and the Beast, we're all like, okay, Belle going through the West Wing. That, the domain. Yeah, like that, yeah. that, we start there, that's our foundation stone, and we build out from there. I think actually Beauty and the Beast, that actually kind of hits the nail on the head, I think, because Beauty and the Beast when we tried to do it with the Beast as Mm -hmm. the Dark Lord, it was giving me kind of a similar gut reaction as Mm -hmm. thinking about a badly done horror version of Last Unicorn. Mm -hmm. Because it's much harder to write goodness and beauty and the miraculous and the numinous Mm -hmm. than it is to write scary and dark. Mm -hmm. To do it well and to have it feel earned and to not have it be schmaltzy. Mm -hmm. And one of the points where Disney does it best is the transformation sequence at the end of Beauty and Mm -hmm. the Beast that is just Mm -hmm. like, brings a tear to my eye every time. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's amazing. And Last Unicorn is that same sort of thing that like you have this sense of just of beauty, of grace, of wonder. It it's, sounds silly to talk about in terms of like this Franken and Bass movie or right. the end of this Disney movie, but it's, it's almost a sense of the divine, mm-hmm. you know? So I instinctively recoil against making that horrific. Mm-hmm. So it gets goodness so right, and I don't want to see that be corrupted. Yeah. The other big problem is kind of getting into what we were getting into with Peter Pan and some of this cosmic horror stuff. Of if you are doing the idea of playing into these themes of being in a story, it's going to feel like it's kind of on rails. Like if you want to have them not just go and fight the Red Bull, you might be trying to put them on rails in order to stop that from happening. Mm. And the unicorn has to be an NPC, but she's clearly the protagonist of the story. And, you know, in fact, is possibly the only real character in uh-huh. the story <laughs> by the metaphysics of the story. So it's going to be hard to engage with some of the juiciest themes mm-hmm. in a way that gives your PCs full agency. Yeah. And we've been saying before, there's that fundamental challenge of your, and come back with this being perfect, you're just going to be doing a less good version of mm-hmm. The Last Unicorn that's slightly different and doesn't have Schmendrick in it. <laughs> and for some people, just they to marinate in Last Unicorn is enough mm-hmm. that that's a totally good proposition, but it is a challenge of doing a game set in this time. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, that for me is why I keep coming back to the idea of doing kind of a secondary villain mm-hmm. rather than Haggard or Mommy Fortuna. Because if they're running to Mommy Fortuna, they're going to want to do the whole story. Yeah. Like, oh, that's what we're doing. So kind of doing the Ravenloft domain version of Inspired by True Events. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's this very loosely, like, Haggard-esque villain capturing Mm -hmm. magical creatures. And you save a unicorn. Yay. So... Yay, on that note, what a, what a triumphant and good happy note to end on. Before we rejoin our narrator and find out what less beautifully written, thematically perfect domain she's going to go to next, 
let's talk about how you can tell us which of our horror versions, what, which one do you think would be the best way to do this? How can they tell us, Rachel? And how would you run a sandbox game at Sire 1313? Uh-huh, or in The Last Unicorn. Or in The Last Unicorn. You can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Tumblr at Wonderful World of Dark Lords. And if you really love what we're doing and you're moved by our description of this moving work and you want to give us money, you can give us money on Red Circle. And if you want look, to... Look, search for Wonderful World of Dark Lords on Red Circle or check the show notes. There's a link in there. This is Future Rachel real quick. We are Catholic, so we do the announcements after the main event, but before the dismissal, this is the way. If you want to support our show, we also, since recording this, got a Patreon, so you can go check that out. Speaking of our red circle and our tip jar, those donations are anonymous, so we have a couple of incredibly generous donors, apparently. Thank you so much. We don't know who you are. Thank you so much. If you want us to, like, thank you by name, either privately or publicly, then drop us an email. Let us know who you are. We are incredibly grateful. We just can't reach out to you because Red Circle's anonymous. And on that note of us getting fantastic donations... Book Club of Dread is happening. Hocus Pocus and the all-new sequel will get shared with the world, so stay tuned for that. And if you do not approve of digital panhandling and want to get <laughs> something for your money, I respect that. We do have several works on DMs Guild. I've taken some, as Rachel mentioned, some horror movies. I have adaptations for Curse of Strahd of a couple horror properties. And if you like how we talked about running it for younger players, our kind of sensitivity and concern for the experience of younger players, we also do have some resources on running spookier stuff like Curse of Strahd for younger players. And then speaking of spooky things for young people, I have a children's book, Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters. It's exactly what it sounds like. I also have some short stories for adults on my website, www.rachelcolor.com. Most of them are free, and I sadly don't think any of them have unicorns in them, but you can check all that out. Or maybe they do. Better go check the website and find out. <laughs> Better go read them all to check. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Happy gaming. Parting thoughts. I do not know what the bull is hunting so that haggard may hoard it in the sea, but whatever it is, I pity it. I would gladly return to Frollo's palace of justice rather than catch so much as a glimpse of the bull again. Whatever lies in the sea, it may be the source of all arcane energy in the realm, for the magic seems to be fading as the bull's prey disappears. My patron is more qualified than I to speculate on this. I regret penning the previous message while my emotions were still raw, as my patron will likely mock my vulnerability. Mock as much as you like, Hansid. You didn't see it. At any rate, I find myself wondering whether the next domain on my itinerary is, itself, your perverse idea of a joke. A domain where a witch seeks eternal youth and beauty, all in the name of being the fairest one of all. Regards, D. A land and a people deprived of the wonders of magic is a melancholy thought indeed. A land that still contains that wonder, but its people cannot sense or feel its truth, that is more than worthy of my servant's sentimentality and pity. I am reminded of a ruler from my homeland who attempted to suppress the use of magic, much to the detriment of his people. He naturally was never successful in driving it completely from his realm, for people will always hunger 
for a glimpse of the awe that can only be inspired by the masters of the arcane. Even the little hag in her midnight carnival desire that influence. While she exploits the people's yearnings for and long-forgotten memories of magic, she's exploiting her own desires as well. Even Schmendrick, who showed such promise when studying an Illiluk, is reduced to a mere novice, forever grasping at a power he cannot quite fathom. It seems I have done you a disservice, my scholar. You have a disposition toward empathy that should not be readily dismissed. Recognize those emotions as they come to you and take the time to analyze them when it is safe to do so. It is important to recognize when you are letting your emotions control you and when they are aiding your work. I theorize that what you beheld in the seas beyond Hagrid's castle is the source of magic in its purest form, a sight that would move even the most unfeeling of individuals, and that is why the king has chosen to trap it there. One wonders how long it should be before even this purity is just another disappointment to him. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are on the public domain and were obtained through MuseOpen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Tumblr at DarklordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, look for us on Patreon.com or find our tip jar on Red Circle. Thanks for listening! Rachel, what do you do with it? Bum, bum, bum. You play some rock on.